Welcome to episode 26 of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I am really, really excited about this episode for many reasons. Great crop of movies, interesting crop of movies. This is the second science fiction show. Way back in episode 11 with my buddy uh, who lives in LA, Tim Hildebrandt, we talked about uh, six sci-fi movies and we have six more. And this is a first time guest and you are the first guest that is going to be somebody that I've never met before. <laughs> Today, you know, we've talked a little bit uh, on through Facebook Messenger, but this is Polly Esther, and you are in the fine city of Toronto. Is that correct? Yes, yes, I am. And hello, I'm very, I'm excited to be here. When you said episode 26, I was like, oh, damn it! I need to do another episode with you right away because I'm a huge Weird Al fan, and 27 is prominent oh. in a lot of stuff. So I'm like, oh god, damn oh, it! Oh, it now. <laughs> Speaking of, of which, did, did I see that you were in some sort of a, a Zoom with Weird Al? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was my, it was a friend of mine's uh, birthday. I should go back a little bit. So I, I, I write and perform autobiographical one-woman shows. Uh, the latest one that I did is called Pollywood. And that was about how in uh, 2018, I found out that Weird Al was finally getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And this, the announcement came like two weeks before it was happening. And my friend convinced me to do a GoFundMe campaign to fly to LA to be oh, there and cool. see my lifelong muse in person. And I called her insane. Um, basically, I, I put it up and then I said, if I raised the money, like, because I needed $1,000 for the flight, because flights are expensive from Toronto to LA. Oh, yeah, they are. So for a flight and then one night in a motel, it would be like $1,000. So I said, if I raise the money, um, it'll be early investment and sponsorship to my next one woman show that I'll create about the whole experience <laughs> if if I'm able to raise the money. And uh, so I put it out there and I raised all $1,000 in two days. It was oh, ridiculous. Wow. It was insane. And so it's like, nice. oh, I'm going to LA. So I basically, so the show is about kind of um, how, how I actually got into one woman shows in the first place, why Weird Al means so much to me. So like how he's kind of sprinkled throughout my life. And then the GoFundMe campaign and the 37 hour adventure that I had when I went to LA. Cause I literally flew Sunday morning and flew back Monday night. So it was like this, it literally still seems like this insane dream that I had because I was just like I was just at the airport like this yeah. doesn't make any sense like what's going on yeah so it's like it was really great and I got invited to the VIP party that his manager was throwing awesome. at the Viper room it's like the craziest it was like a Hollywood story in Hollywood so one of the people I met in this VIP group um they were having a surprise birthday for him on zoom and so, uh, but like the, the invite had gone out. And then, so we were, there was like about just under 40 of us and we're all just having fun. And then Weird Al's drummer showed up because we knew that he had been invited. So John Bermuda Schwartz. And then literally like 15 minutes later out of nowhere, like, so my friend Ethan, who was hosting it, all of a sudden he goes, oh, hold on, somebody else is coming in. And then all of a sudden Weird Al is like, oh, wow. oh my God, I'm like, um, Oh my God. And so like they, you, you're all the, like the little boxes, but then Ethan was like putting a bunch of people at a time. So he did like six cubes and the main thing. So I was one of them at one point. And then I was just like, oh, hi. 
because I've met him three times now. So he does know who I am, which is also an insane thing. That could be for another episode. Well, we can review UHF for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Wacky films. Right. I never mind kind of putting a... I, uh, an original show together like that that would be a lot of fun it would work well in kind of an 80s type show maybe even yeah like cult films or something yeah, yeah. you gave yeah. me there was a whole bunch that you gave me and it was literally like what i had access to so it was like okay so there yeah that was the easiest and then i gave you another short list and you're like how about these ones and i was just like perfect <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it worked well it worked well and i i, I didn't realize until i Started to organize my movies, how many science fiction movies I have. So <laughs> this is like number two of six or seven science fiction episodes I could have uh, over the years. So so this was this was great. So I was going to ask you what uh, what drew you to this list, other than uh, accessibility to some of the movies. Was there a movie or two that you were uh, interested in talking about? There there were. I was that I put them on the list, and I I'll save it for afterwards. But I thought I don't want to push like. A certain film because I, I I just I thought I'm gonna have it be luck of the draw so mm-hmm. I it was just like these are the films that I literally either own on DVD or Blu-ray mm-hmm. or I can access on like uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix or something yeah. like that and then I gave you I don't know I think like maybe 12 films or something like there was twice the and then you're like and I'm like so whatever you're good with and then you choose how about this and I was just like I just I just left it all to chance yeah. and it was very very what the one of the ones that um it was a choice between uh I'm glad I I got the one I was sad I didn't get a rival because I love that film so much mm-hmm. but the other one I was just like I'm very happy with that so yeah, perfect. Well, get into it. Uh, I should, because I tend to forget in the introduction. So I'm going to mention there will be spoilers for the six movies that we talk about. So we can we can talk about the endings as part of our critique. If there's something that's going to be really, really a plot twist that if people have not seen a movie, uh, then I try to do a warning ahead of time there too. And uh, there may be some uh, chorus language. It sounds like uh, <laughs> one or two of the movies. <laughs> Bring out that spirit. <laughs> I do. I do apologize in advance. So this is a warning to those of you. I that the you know there will be some so depending on how heated I get. But I was saying to Jason before for uh, it, movies are very emotional for me, and it's literally all about emotions. So it's not like I do an objective thing going, oh, that was the best film of that year. It's literally, I refer to films as my favorites, you know, of the year, or this is why, because of my emotional connection to them. So it's literally, and and I'll explain as things go, as we go through all the films, but yeah, but I thought I would like say that to to all the, the lovely listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> also to yeah. prepare them <laughs> well I also, what i like about that is you know you can't refute feelings you can't mm-hmm. uh, you know this is my favorite i feel this way about this movie and i probably again i said the, like the know-it-all young man in me was very judgmental and how could you possibly not like that or how could you possibly like that and not really being sensitive to other people's perspectives and so now I think it's a lot more about I with the show I try to be respectful I state my points if uh, I sound like I'm full of it then you can call me on it for it to be a lot of fun so but I, I don't think anybody's going to fisticuffs over uh, any of these movies here this is I think will be good 
This is such a cool mix of movies. That's the other reason I'm just so pumped for this episode. So I'm just going to list them off here. We're, we're going to go to, in the last sci-fi show, as I mentioned before, we started recording the two Tom Cruise movies. In this case, we ended up with two Robert Zemeckis films. And, and so we're going to bookend the show with, uh, with those. We're starting off with Back to the Future 2. Then we're going to, for something completely different, go to V for Vin- Vendetta. Then we're going to jump to Blade Runner. I'm going to mention Blade Runner because there are like seven different versions of Blade Runner out there. It's, it's one of these things that really Scott kept working with. I, I plan to review this movie three times in the history of my podcast. This time we're reviewing the United States theatrical release version. All right. There's the director's cut and the final cut. I know there's an international one. There's a, there, there's just a million of them. For some reason, that's his project to have several different versions of Blade Runner out there. But this is the theatrical version that we're going to talk about. And then we're going to leap, of course, animation, as you do, Pixar with WALL-E, followed by James Cameron's epic Avatar, which we'll, we'll get to and should be a colorful discussion. <laughs> as colorful as the Avatar characters, maybe. <laughs> you know. With the more, I guess, the more serious of the two Robert Zemeckis films, his follow-up to Forrest Gump, Contact. And those are the six, and you can't find six more different science fiction movies to talk about. So the points thing at the end is going to be really kind of interesting. (laughs) These suckers I lose. Yeah. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to say before we start uh, going into some some depth with your review? No, let's do it. <laughs> do you remember the future? You've got to come back with me. Where? to the future. Are we back? We're back. What do you mean we're in the future? October 21st, 2015. Marty, we're going to be able to see our wedding. Wow. The future. I got to check this out, Doc. Look what happened to your son. He's a complete wimp. Don't talk to anyone. You've been looking. Taylor! Don't touch anything. I need to borrow your hoverboard. Come on, come on, come on, come on! And try not to look at anything. I didn't invent the time machine to win at gambling. I can't lose. I invented a time machine to travel through time. Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? Now, the time continuum has been disrupted, creating an alternate 1985. There have been a few changes. It's like we're in hell or something. No, it's Hill Valley, although I can't imagine hell being much worse. But they'll all be back. Eat less! Biff? Hello? Hello, anybody home? Why they can't be you? You're so big. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Michael J. Fox. More like a couple of teenagers, you know? And Michael J. Fox. Mom, is that you? Steven Spielberg presents a Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future. Gotta get back in time. Part 2. 
coming November 22nd to theaters everywhere. I, I grew up in the 80s. I think I was a little bit more of a movie fan in the 90s as opposed to the 80s. But in my childhood, I came across Back to the Future, which is a classic. And there was always this sequel that was promised. And wisely, they, they did actually spend several years between the first Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2. So we I had to wait, which felt like forever when I was a kid, for 1989 to see Back to the Future 2. And I remember seeing this and I was blown away with the special effects, the ambition of the story, and everything they did that sort of topped the original. Not necessarily better than the original, but just they uh, in the story 30 years into the future, into the future being the year 2015, which we've now passed, of course. I, I thought... You know, they took a lot of creative risks. And then there was all this other stuff I didn't know that was coming. And so it felt like a really, really big movie. And I would say revisiting it now, I still agree that's a very, very big movie. Maybe it's not as magical and as wonderful because it's been a while since 1989. But I still have, this is kind of my, my send, well, a couple of them are sentimental, I guess. But this is kind of my nostalgic one, I think. Objectively, you could maybe say that Back to the Future 2 isn't the greatest science fiction movie of all time. But it's a lot of fun, and that's that's kind of where I stand on it. I'll just do plot very quickly here, and then uh, if you want to say your your feelings about Back to the Future too. My, Michael J. Fox, Canadian content here. Uh, Marty McFly has only just gone back from the past, and he once again is picked up by Doc Emmett Brown, played by the great Christopher Lloyd, and sent through time to the future. Marty's job in the future is to pose as his own son to prevent his son from being thrown into prison. Unfortunately, things get worse when the future changes the present. What do you think about Back to the Future Part 2? I, uh, well, I have the, the box set the trilogy i um i turn hey that's it yes i mean like it's such a thick you know they can make it a lot thinner these days but it's this this big bugger uh now so i i turned 50 in may so i was 14 when back to the future came out and that was that was huge and then when yeah so waiting like four years it was like star wars right you had to wait all these years for the next one and i remember they filmed uh parts two and three uh kind of at the same time all they kind of back to back to back for back to the future because at the end of like before the credits for Back to the Future 2, it's got basically like, you know, on the next episode of, it's basically they're showing you clips of part three that they were still kind of like trying to wrap up, but it was trying to get you to see what was like, because obviously the end, spoiler alert, the end of Back to the Future 2, it's like Doc gets like zoomed back into like 1885. So it's like 70 years till 1955 when Marty gets the the letter. <laughs> And he has to find a way to go back to the past to 1885. Yeah. Anywho, um, so I, when it came out, <clears throat> I thought it was like so good. I liked the way that 
they like they 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 followed up on things so like the when when marty kind of wakes up and it's like a thunderstorm and it's you know it's like mom are you there and then he hears his mother's voice you know in the original it's like you know you're back in good old 1955 it's like 1955 and then in this one it's obviously in this like alternate future that has unfortunately happened and it's his mother goes you're back on the good old 27th floor so i like that <laughs> Obviously, but a lot of it back when it came out, thought it was great. And then rewatching it a few times when I was like younger, watching it now, it still holds up mm -hmm. in a lot of places. Uh, I'll get the bad thing out of the way first because I want to talk about good points. But Biff is very controlling and abusive. This is a very like you don't realize what it is when you're watching it, you know, in the 80s. And then now it's just like, wow, this is like a real this is not a like the an okay person at all. This this he needs help. He, yeah. And it's so so watching it because I, I I don't know when the last time I watched this film was. So watching that, it was like disturbing. You know things will work out in the end but it was just like oh my god but leah thompson did a great job playing somebody in that kind of relationship so i thought that was a positive thing you know she did really good i will say <laughs> even back then the fake breasts that she had the yeah, breastplate it's it's it, it wasn't even good back then. Like, even then, I was just like, that doesn't look good at all. Yeah. I'm a huge RuPaul's Drag Race fan, so I, I see some really awesome ones on this show these days. So I'm like, they could have, like, I know they've come a long way all these years later, but I'm like, they, they could, like, touch it up a little yeah. bit. But it was literally, like, like a, a, a barrel, pretty much, on her. But, yeah, I... So, so that aside, I did have some notes. I, I thought, yeah, the, the breast just right there. The first, <laughs> first thing I'm like, yep, yeah, the breast. I really like, I know that people would say that this would like, oh, it's like exposition and you don't need this. But to the, like, even today, I still really love when the doc has to, like, he's showing Marty, he's explaining the timeline. He goes, well, why don't we just go back to the future and change it? And he's like, no, Marty, like that future doesn't exist. And he's drawing on the chalkboard going, this is the 1985 alternate reality we're in now. If we go to the future, it's the future of this today. I still really like that. I know that a lot of people might think it's cheesy, but I'm like, that explains it so well because, you know, it's easy to get confused. And it's like, I just thought that was a really great way that they handled it. And I, oh, actually, no, there's another big thing that I, I still today want a, a mechanical vest with a button you can push to make a chicken sound. That'd be amazing. I, I don't know why that excited me so much when I watched it like in 1989 but watching it today I was like oh right yeah. I I still want it all these years later because why why wouldn't you I it's it's amazing it can maybe you know keep you know people still have to stay six feet away from each other so if you have that people will definitely <laughs> stay the hell away from you I I also I'm also I love the film Midnight Cowboy so I really yeah. loved you know you know the young Marty you know I'm walking here yeah that nice that's, homage that's a big chuckle for me because uh, 
So I've lived in Toronto my whole life. Toronto doesn't respect its history or its architecture, and it just demolishes everything yeah. to build condos. We're like the condo capital of the world. They're still tearing things down to make room for more condos that nobody, nobody is coming to. It's ridiculous. So watching, it was just a nice feeling when they go to the, the future at the start of the film and you still, the clock tower is still there. You know, they've got like this, this water, uh, like kind of conservation area in front, which is really nice. But I liked that. I'm like this, <laughs> you know, this town still respects its history and you've still got the movie theater over there and it had Jaws, God, what was it? Jaws 19 or something. Yeah, that's, that's a nice bit too. Yeah. That's pretty in the 3d that was pretty okay and then the cubs winning the world series is actually very funny today so <laughs> but, they, they I like... right, but it was of course it wasn't there is a team in miami but they're not in the american league so like i remember all these articles in 2015 saying what did back to the future 2 get right and what did they get wrong yeah. Copper boards. I mean, that's a thing that I thought would be a stretch, but those exist, you know, but uh, some other things that we, we thought we might have aren't, aren't there yet. So no, we don't, we can't hydrate a pizza, no. but we do like, you can have like multiple TV yeah. screens going on all at once. So that was neat. I actually did make that note, but the thing that, oh, the thing that really bothers <laughs> the thing that bothers me the most i just and it's uh, right and you'll get it right it's that the almanac okay the almanac covers 50 years of like all sport it's not just baseball it's like you know horse racing and all this stuff as well and college football and i'm like no that issue that you're holding is like basically for like one season of the nhl for like sporting news like i <laughs> Like, I'm a sports fan, and it's just like, that would cover, like, you know, the, the 2017 hockey season with, like, everything. There's no, there's no way. It would be an encyclopedia set to cover 50 years of, like, all these different sports. <sighs> yeah, that's, yeah. it's, that, no. <laughs> that's a no. It's a story device, though. Yes. I mean that's a catalyst for everything going wrong that Marty can't help himself but he he wants to take this back to 1985 and he still even though he's been warned not to and then he buys it and then he he does actually get it's thrown out but unfortunately old man Biff is has eavesdropped on this conversation and been able to figure out what's happened how that's affected his life and then that, that changes the whole story and that's where I think as a kid I was just wowed like I was expecting the future stuff to be really cool and it was even cooler than i thought but the fact that they then went back to 1985 and this does happen like over 30 years the neighborhood which is very suburban can turn into a bit of a crime zone and then we saw that kind of dystopian version of that neighborhood in of hill valley in 1985 and then the fact that they to fix this all they have to go back to 1955 where we were in the first film and then the challenge of having the characters interact with all the events of back to the future what an uh, immense challenge for robert zemankis so this is where i have to give them credit maybe the screenplay isn't as tight as, as back to the future was but i i just think it's a just a worthy sequel 
and I enjoyed the whole trilogy. I, I think when I was a kid, this was maybe my favorite of the three, but going back and seeing all three of them, yeah, Back to the Future is the best of the Back to the Future movies, obviously. But Back to the Future 2, I, if people haven't checked it out, I would encourage them to, to see it because this trilogy, I don't think is, gets as much love as a Star Wars or maybe even an yeah. Indiana Jones. And so, oh, totally. yeah, I, I, I think two is better than it's giving credit for. And so, and that will show up a little bit in the points, I think, even though it's up against some heavy hitters as far as sci-fi movies. I also, when you're saying that, I really liked when it was the Enchantment Under the Sea dance mm. and then he goes like backstage you know and he's walking and the visual effects even back then were so good because he's walking while he's looking out at himself right. on the stage playing and then you know going up and then seeing you know to drop the sandbags but then he's like climbing you know that uh, the fixture going across and then looking down at the band and everything and i'm like this is still this is still really fun i still really enjoy this because oh. it took me back to how i felt when i watched the first time and i'm like oh my god like does he know like you're right there and then you're like but you can't see that in the in the first film right and it's just i just thought it was so great and then also so at the <laughs> at the end when you know Doc sends mother, other Marty yes. into the future and then you know the the fire lines and then he's like Yahoo which I actually love from the first film and then he's like you know does that biting of the lip and he turns and he looks up and then he walks and then you hear da 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 and then Marty runs around the corner that's still a great moment oh no I just sent you to the future put a back dog I'm back from the future and then great Scott and then he passes out yeah I thought it was so great it's still I got chills I still really love that moment I just want to say a couple things that I, I guess, well, one thing is, I don't know if it's interesting or not, but it's something just trivia with the movie, something I didn't clock into, I don't think, uh, when I was a kid. Crispin Glover, of course, played, played Marty's father in Back to the Future. He opted out of two and three. And so they, I think they do a pretty good job on the whole of hiding the fact that it's not Crispin Glover in that role, but there's... You know, they had somebody who looked kind of looked like him or whatever. Upside down. And the, yeah. Yeah, not the upside down thing. Again, Crispin Glover's an interesting cat. I mean, like you think, you know, even if he doesn't want to do a popcorn movie, it probably was some some good money in there for him so that he could do the the Willards and the the other kind of weirder movies that he does. Yeah, I mean they did a good job of handling that situation. Uh, in the film. I know that because they actually show when Marty first gets to the dance and I remember this being a huge thing when he gets to the dance at first he, he looks through and he sees it's actually a clip of, of Chris McGlover as George McFly kind of dancing off to the side and he's looking through the binoculars so they didn't they didn't ask him permission to use that so he actually like kind of sued them and he won so he got not a hell of a lot of money but he still got a chunk of change and I and I can understand but he he actually also didn't do the sequels because he didn't like the direction they were going he thought in his mind that George McFly was gonna become a white beater because he beat the crap out of Biff and in in Crispin Glover's mind that was going to carry over into his it was, so he had these really weird he is an interesting I saw a show that he did here in Toronto and he's just a very very 
bizarre and interesting Philip. So yeah, so they so they were like, we're not changing the scripts. Like he wouldn't be that way. And that's why he didn't do the sequels because this is how, that was how he saw George McFly turning out. And it's like, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> like George McFly, like what was the point of, of trying to give him that confidence or something like that? I, yeah, that, that would be, again, I think he's more interested in kind of weirder or perhaps horror movies. And so if they really took a, a different turn with this series and, and, and made it about that. But yeah, I, that just would not work for Back to the Future's a family entertainment yeah. coming out of the 80s. Again, just a couple of weaknesses. I guess, you know, time travel movies are complicated, you know? <laughs> and so there can be there can be a couple of inconsistencies. But I again, I didn't see as many as in, in some. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm really singing its praises. That thing you mentioned there with the promo for Back to the Future 3, I didn't like that. In some ways, we almost had three endings to the movie. We have the ending where Marty's delivered that letter Yes. Um, from from the old west, and then he finds out what happened, and then we have the ending where he goes and he sees the Doc, as you mentioned there, and Great Scott, and he faints, and then we have this other ending where join us next summer for Back to the Future Three. We're gonna be in the old west, and then they show way too many scenes from that uh, that movie, and I, I don't know if they were afraid that people wouldn't go to see it. I mean, I think if you've paid your money for Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two, you're probably committed to seeing Back to the Future Three no matter what. Yeah. In that movie, so I don't know why they did that, but they do have a shot of like Marty and Doc beside the the actual the clock that's that's actually been built to go on top of the the tower, and I I thought that was really cool. But uh, yeah, today I'm like back then it was just like oh that's so cool, but today it's like why like exactly what you're saying? Why did they do that? <laughs> I, I'd like, rather see coming attraction for it at a separate time and. <laughs> kind of go in like what's going to happen like how how does how does marty you know connect with doc in the old west or get back to 1985 but they're they, they just show so much of that in there and i just think it's a disservice to the transition between two to three but me being really picky i think you know i it's i i really enjoy this movie it's a great popcorn movie i don't i think you could families could watch this and i don't think anybody's gonna be too offended unlike a couple of the other movies we're going to talk about uh up here so which i might might not recommend to uh to family audiences so anything else you want to say about back to the future too i think that that was like all of my notes check out back <laughs> to the future too if you haven't i wish i wasn't afraid all the time but I am. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Those caught in violation of curfew will be prosecuted without leniency or exception. It's past curfew, you know. I want this terror is found, and I want him to understand what terror really means. We're working on several leads. Her parents were detained when she was 12. It was like those black bags erased them from the face of the earth. 
You have one chance. You must tell us the whereabouts of Codename V. If our own government was responsible for the deaths of 100,000 people, you really want to know? <laughs> Those who are responsible will be held accountable. The time has come for you to live without fear. I'm ready. This country stands on the edge of oblivion. I want everyone remember why they need us. Kill him. now to a science fiction movie which is based on a, a graphic novel I, I i have to admit i i haven't read the graphic novel for v for vendetta it's set in uh distant future av hammond played by uh one natalie portman is an average citizen of the united kingdom but she's under the rule of the fascist and tyrannical norse fire party which is led by uh the evil john hurt she's an employee of the state-run british television network but soon she becomes the number one enemy of the state together with an enigmatic and larger-than-life freedom fighter known only by the letter v v informs evie that she must hide in his underground lair for the at least one year and while she's reluctant to, to do that at first a bond soon forms between the two individuals in the meantime the mysterious past of v is gradually revealed but uh, to the police inspector tasked with capturing him named eric finch uh, played by the great stephen ray and it is not long until he starts questioning everything his government stands for and so this is very much a dystopian future so having john hurt in this role was really cool because he's in the film version of 1984 uh but he's on the other end of the spectrum he's the big brother in this movie i i don't know why i got this one sort of out of the way because i wasn't that excited to revisit it and i don't know if some of my hesitation was because because of this movie kind of the the anonymous movement started to happen which i think i, I kind of supported like the you know the protests about Wall Street and the corruption and all that. But I think that kind of has morphed not to put too much, I mean, weight on these filmmakers. They're making a movie and adapting a graphic novel. But this kind of led into the WikiLeaks and the hacking of the 2016 American election and conspiracy theories. And, you know, when I was watching this, we're kind of in the middle of Trump and all of his followers saying that the election was was falsified and was rigged. And again, I, I watched this before the attack on the Capitol that happened uh, in January. And I'm, I'm glad that I, I mean, I'm sure those feelings are still out there, but I'm glad that Biden is now the president officially. And we're in that time. But I, I'm kind of tracing all of these messages back that you can't trust anything the government says and people starting to believe that and internalize it. And it's leading to some dangerous territory. So that's maybe not the film's fault because I'm a fan of the movie Natural Born Killers, for example. And some some people, oh, I'm glad, thumbs up. Some people get after me about that one that is responsible for some of the copycat things that happened. So I don't want to put this on the Wachowski at the time was brothers, now the Wachowski sisters who produced it or, 
or the filmmakers or any of the actors, but that's why I, I wasn't sure I wanted to revisit this. Upon revisiting it, I have lots of criticisms, but I also have a lot of nice things to say about V for Vendetta. So it's, I think it's it's a decent movie, but I would not be, I'm, I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I am about some of the other six. What are your thoughts about uh, V for Vendetta? <laughs> I'm actually, I, I have to look at my notes. I don't know if I have any good notes at all. <laughs> I, I understand what, I understand what I guess it was trying to say. I haven't read the novel, but I, I, this was a comedy to me because I just laughed so much because it was so bad. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is so awful. Like I, I can, I can start to get into it right now if you want like i literally i was making yeah, notes i was so this i i might just read my notes as it. It. okay yeah. so this is exactly well i'll have to explain when my first note is the fuck is with all the v's so that was when he when she sees him i'm like why are you saying like this whole sentence with a V? I'm like, yeah. shut up. I would have like, I would have like, Natalie, take your chance on the streets again. This guy's nuts. I was like, this guy <laughs> is full of himself. And I, I fucking, I can't, sorry. Here's the swearing is coming out for this one, folks. I just, I, oh my God. So, and then I'm like, what did they say? Fingerlings? Fingermen. Who are the fingermen? I don't know. But then I, every time I heard it, I thought of fingerling potatoes. So I, I just called them the potato men. <laughs> there was no explanation whatsoever. And then they had, so the, the 1812 overture, this is actually, he's, I think the line at some point is, oh no, uh, John Hurt, I think afterwards when they're hearing the thing, he, he says to Stephen Rhea, add it to the blacklist. And I was just like, yeah, do that. Because I played the flute in school. I played it like all my, all my years, like from grade five, all the way to grade 13 because when I was in school they still had grade 13 and <laughs> this was the transition year and in grade 12 the school I went to we were invited to because we won Kiwanis like all the time so I, I chose the high school I went to for the music program because it was like the best and it was North Toronto it was like the best in the in Toronto and so we got invited to Halifax to play at this international music conference and our big piece was the 1812 overture and so this this piece of music I I like classical music I used to love it but this piece of music has haunted me <laughs> my whole life because I just could not get through it so I was not like the best flautist I was like at the back of the third flute so my my standmate Greg and I would fake our way through most of the 1812 overture so I learned how to act all the way back then and it was just like this is so ridiculous so it's a piece that I never could play perfectly which bothered me because I loved playing the flute but that was like torture and I just could never get it. So I would just like play act. And so I've never been able to listen to, like every time I would hear a bit of it over the years, I'd be like, oh, I can't, I can't. And then here it is in this film, but I actually found that I had closure finally for, <laughs> for so that's the one thing that this film gave me, <laughs> it gave me closure. I was working, like I'm a catering server. So sadly I've been out of work like all this time, but I worked this event in late, 
late 2019 and they had like it was just this reception and they had this dj guy playing and he was doing some like r&b and some it was a mix of really weird stuff but then he had he was playing the 1812 overture at one point and that was like near the end i think that was like the, the get out song and so i was just like oh my god and i was like oh actually this is actually a good version of it so whatever orchestra is doing this i'm not like having ptsd from it yeah. so there wasn't that many people left and so i went over <laughs> i went over to the dj <laughs> and i said i was just like hey and i said do you like can i ask what version this is of this because and i kind of gave him like a cole's nose version of what i've just said here but i said like this is something i played in high school and i've hated it all these years but like this orchestral version is actually sounding pretty good to me and i'm i'm interested in looking it up after and then he's like oh yeah sure hold on and then he goes yeah uh, i gotta look back in my in my thing and he's looking and i go oh this is great i've got like my notepad ready <laughs> to write it down and he goes oh yeah it's uh, yeah it's the uh, and he finally gets to it and he goes oh yeah it's the 1812 uh overture by tchaikovsky and and i just stared at him and i was just like Thank you so much. Uh -oh. I really appreciate yeah. it. I was just like, oh no. Like, oh, yeah. he was a very sweet man, yeah. but not, you know, a few records short of a collection, I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> I like the music analogy in there. That's <laughs> But uh, but that that actually makes for because I'm not, I'm a storyteller so I'm like this is a, this is a story that I tell now but I'm like that actually is kind of like a happy funny moment related to the eight to twelve overture now so I'm like I'm glad I had that and then when I heard it in this I'm like okay I have full closure now and I'm able to laugh at it because like this this buffoon is like conducting all over and I'm like why is she still standing there and I'm like I don't like leave it was so weird anyway i'm gonna go back to my notes so i had to explain all that so then i've written out a quote i'll get all storm saxon on your ass i had to write that down because the, the security guy was watching that really bad show which looked a hell of a lot better than this film in the end and then i wrote a note just for myself to tell you that i zoned out a lot i was pretty bored yeah. and we're only like 20 minutes into the film at this point this was actually actually this is a positive point the shower scene with the guy i thought that was kind of neat the who is it the the head the the ceo of the company the kind of celebrity yes type. yeah yeah, yeah it's it's the reality or political pundit type of thing you know like uh, somebody who screams at the camera yeah yes i liked how he had like all, like the tvs in his home but especially in this huge bathroom of his i thought that was cool and then he's actually quoting himself as he's watching a recording i thought that was I'm like that's very real but then he's in the shower but then he's like on the phone or whatever and he's bitching about his dop who can't light him properly Properly, and I'm like, that's really real. <laughs> that's a, like, that's a very, I'm like, that's the like one moment that I truly believe his character, the ego and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, then. That, yeah. yeah, that was pretty. That I was wasn't sad to see him go. I mean, it's that thing where like, this was a human being, but this is also <laughs> a character and you know, he was such a jerk. Yeah, you knew he was going to get it, but I was just like, nice, in his own shiny bathroom. And then, oh my God, and then my notes, I guess this is like her in his place now, and they're watching the movie, and I wrote, is this a rom-com now? Like, I... <laughs> I don't, you're being held against your will, but you know, aw, that's 
this film? Uh, and then it's like the next day, I'm like, where is she getting all her clothes? She went right throughout the entire film. I'm like, where are these changes of clothes coming from? Like every scene, it's a brand new outfit. Where did that come from? I don't, oh my God. Does she have a purse like Hermione in, you know, Harry Potter, where it's just like, because she's got this spell and she's got like her stack of books in there. She's got, she got her cat. I don't know. And then, yeah, obviously Stephen Fry was going to get taken after his TV special. I thought that was funny, but it was just like, well, you're pretty stupid. You're going to get taken now. His character I liked. Oh, the only, okay. The only good thing about the film that I liked were Valerie's letters when she Mm -hmm. was, I thought that was a really nice touch <laughs> and spoiler alert yeah oh, it's just oh, a whole ridiculous psycho sociopathic traumatizing how'd you feel when a movie does that to you it's almost like they, they've lied to you you know i feel like it's just let's show how clever we are and again this may be in the source material and maybe it's not the filmmaker's fault but i, I do kind of at points resent movies that that will try to do something like that like take us on this journey and make us care about and then just no it was all just a trick and that's well i mean that seems to be the the point where natalie portman finally figures out like yeah you, you are a jerk but i mean I, i'm not sure why it's her this long it, it was it was yeah like she she eventually like the door opens and then she goes and then you go down the hall and you're like this is this is like these place like that sociopathic behavior it's disgusting it's immoral it's horrific it's traumatizing yeah. and then she leaves <laughs> then at the end she's like v fucking anyways how she has feelings anyway just fuck that noise anyways then there's this what i don't know i i literally didn't write where in the film this was but that we get to one point where she's having her asthma attack i've had asthma my whole life and i wrote that's not how any of this works that's you don't you don't like you don't have somebody say breathe breathe and then you're fine in a few minutes you i have two inhalers (laughs) you know you could be having a panic attack but you're still or even then, breathe, breathe. If the panic attack is not that helpful either. No, we because unfortunately, go through the panic attack, and then after that, it's going to be there for the recovery. And Hollywood example of dealing with something like that, which is just for plot convenience and simple, which is not simple. So. Yep. Then, God, oh, the dominoes were neat. I don't know why we needed that. That was like for nothing. That was him just playing dominoes in the shape of a V. Like that wasn't like being broadcast anywhere or something. That was him playing dominoes. That was pretty stupid. Then there was, was this her saying it? Oh God, I think this was her. (laughs) I've literally written, quote, how are you one of the most important things that has ever happened to me, but I know nothing about you, end quote. And then I've Britain, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's he's a horrible person and he Stockholm syndrome and he treated you like what he he traumatized you, what he put you through. Fuck off. Anyways, and then the slow-mo knives. That's all I wrote. That was stupid. I wrote bollocks. I don't remember that in the film. Maybe that was just me. And ideas are bulletproof in quotation marks. I don't even remember what that was, but it's just a big fuck yeah. off from yeah. me. <laughs> Tell me what you really think. <laughs> v for Vendetta is F for fuck off. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a big list of weaknesses here, so uh, but you've done a, a, a great job of covering that. <laughs> I, 
on the, on the show, what I attempt to do, and I think with some movies, someday it's going to be really, really difficult to do this. Balance it out by trying to say a couple nice things. So I'll kind of take that, but I don't want people to mistake me from for being a huge advocate for this film by saying some nice things. I just no movie is all bad, and no movie is all good. Really, there's each have everything has weaknesses. You know how how it makes you feel could be all good or all bad, and that's exactly for sure. Again, I, I mentioned one of my favorite things is having. John Hurt. He's barely in the film. He's only in a, a few scenes there, and he's kind of this, you know, this head which is kind of controlling all of the UK, right? But then he, his character kind of shows up towards the end, and I like that idea of casting him as the big brother figure. I really like Stephen Ray, an Irish actor. Yeah, it's nice to see him again in a film. Yeah, and he, he's just consistently good. It, I, I reviewed in my vampire episode. That was the one time I gave him a bad review. Was interview with a vampire, mm. and I don't think he had much of a character this wasn't great use for Stephen Ray here he's used really well he's very effective as this police officer who thinks one thing and then starts to see his world change and I liked his arc I think his arc and maybe a movie about him mm-hmm. and his character might have been a lot more interesting than than what we get here we've already talked about how we kind of enjoyed watching that crazy media guy get killed you know that I was kind of felt good. I, I put this is, and I've mentioned this in the show before, yet somehow every time it's for a movie where I'm actually being quite critical of Natalie Portman, I have had a crush, a celebrity crush on her, as many a young man uh, uh, would have over the years. So there's that where I'm happy to see her. Her British accent from scene to scene is either god-awful or somewhat okay. I am not quite sure. Now... <laughs> I don't know why she's in this movie. Like, <laughs> there, there should have been some of our like best film actors are British. I'm sure there was somebody at that time, like Kira um, Knightley, Grange, who could uh, play that role. And you know, it would have been a, a more authentic as far as the British character. I'm thinking of people, but then I, I'm kind of going, okay, but they were too young at the time. You mentioned Hermione, like Emma Watson would be wonderful in it. Carrie Mulligan, the wonderful actor, Carrie Mulligan. But yeah. they were both too young for the role at the time. But I, I'm trying to think there, there, there must have been somebody out there uh, who could have been cast in this role and done a better job. She's not awful, but she's not fantastic. And it's for somebody who, she's a very smart woman. I think she she's kind of picky with the, the movies that she chooses. Sometimes there's a, there's some good ones and there are duds in there, but I, I don't know how she saw this as being a, a great role for her because it's not a very progressive female character. I mean, no. I guess you make the big decision at the end whether to blow up the entire system of government there or or not. But but yeah, it's just you, you, it. It feels very much like males wrote this character for the convenience of the plot to be subjected to all this stuff and still it's somehow a love story with V. And I I, I don't get it. So I like the evil bishop scene again. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Like he's he's into, I mean, it's ridiculous. Portman's dressed as like this little girl and she's supposed to be, I don't know, a prostitute. But there was something like really absurd, but it kind of pointed out the hypocrisy of of that particular character. Like they were hitting media folks, they were hitting fake religious leaders, Mm -hmm. allowing that to happen. And there was a good scene there with, again, the doctor and the coroner. But those were all the nice things I had to say. Again, we we haven't really mentioned Hugo Weaving, who is technically technically the star of the movie who plays V. Who had to take over that role from somebody else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they had to, I can't remember who it was. And then they had to 
So a lot of the shots, it's actually the other actor, but you can't see his face. And then Hugo Weaving just did the the voiceover for a lot of it. So I think he kind of saved the movie. He had a relationship with the the Wachowskis from from the Matrix movies, of course. Yeah. Again, his pro, it was pretty much a voice performance, you know. And you know, I, I, but it's so big. Wow, it's over the top. Well, it's gonna know? move my hands. I mean, I talk with my hands a lot, but like his, he was ridiculous. It's probably a team effort on that that particular acting performance there but yeah so i i think we're, we're mostly negative on this one i i don't think you said anything to me there that i would disagree with but i, I was not it and i actually got through it and i i wasn't feeling horrible so maybe i i'm in a better place with it than than you were but it's still not the greatest movie we're talking about i i actually remember i did like the scene um where stephen fry takes Natalie to that secret room. So oh, I, yeah, yeah. I liked that. I yeah. I I really liked that. I liked that part. I liked that. But but you knew that oh they're gonna find this room. Of course they <laughs> like, will. He, obviously. The second but, it's revealed, the government knows because it's the 1984 thing. Yeah. You know, I think that movie is better than this one. If you want to take a look at the dystopian, there's lots of dystopian <sighs> yes. films out there. But if you want a good laugh, so Beaver good. Vendetta is. <laughs> A movie of Stephen Fry and Natalie Portman and Stephen Ray. Let, let, I'm, I'm there, but not with this material. No. Yeah. Anything um, else you want to say about your favorite movie of all time? V for <laughs> oh, God. Fuck off. That's it. <laughs> just, I'm just gonna, that's, that's it. That, yeah. <laughs> I need your deck. This is a bad one, the worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty, probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Dr. Eldon Tyrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants in a city of 106 million people. You ever see this girl, huh? Never seen a buzzer. What I didn't know was they were looking for me. Questions. I just do eyes. Just genetic design. Just eyes. Hello? I'm in a bar here now, down in the fourth sector. Why don't you come on down here and have a drink? That's not my kind of place. Time to die. If I didn't care, more than words can say.
if I didn't care, would I feel this way? If this isn't love, then why Excuse me, Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> I love the Star Wars movies and Star Trek movies growing up and all that, but I wouldn't have said I'm, I'm a huge science fiction fan until I came across some darker material. And I would say Blade Runner is definitely dark, even though the first time I saw it was in university. We had a, a movie theater, which no longer exists, unfortunately, on campus. And they were having a science fiction film festival, and we saw lots of really interesting movies. But I saw Blade Runner, the director's cut version, first, yeah. and I was very lukewarm on it. I needed some time and Blade Runner is a movie that I keep revisiting to the point where I have this five disc co uh, Blu-ray collection which has every conceivable version that really Scott ever either agreed to or, or disagreed with and he didn't I, have a cut with the I one we're going to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> this U.S. theatrical version, there was some stuff that Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford were not happy with that got fixed in subsequent versions. I'll, I'll, I'll do plot in a second, but just, just so you know the difference, uh, and if you're wondering why I review this movie three times over in the history of the of the podcast, because there are differences, I, I think, two things. One thing's a spoiler. There is a happy ending for this particular version, which Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford both detested. And a big part in it... This is not just in this version. They were going for some sort of a film noir type of thing. And they had Harrison Ford doing this voiceover narration. And because of test screenings where people were not necessarily getting what was happening in the movie, then the studio insisted on even more voiceovers from Harrison Ford, which he was not that happy about, apparently. He did. Some people thought that he actually tanked them and, and did them poorly, hoping that they would be cut out. But that's apparently a myth. He said, no, he, he did his job. He, he didn't agree with it but he did his job so complicated story here but essentially it's early 21st century and this Tyrell corporation has created these replicants and they are robots that look exactly like human beings and they were meant to do all of the the dirty work on earth kind of be slaves in some ways oddly enough is going to connect to uh, when we end up talking about Wally. -E. there's some strange similarities that you wouldn't think of in there but they discovered that uh, there's some glitches and they these were actually fairly homicidal replicants and they became then banned from Earth. They were sent off to a distant planet. And if there were any replicants, then Blade Runners would come in and they were, they're 
specialized police, and their job was to track down the replicants and kill them. And Harrison Ford is one of the Blade Runners. After several of them have managed to uh, escape this this prison they were in on another planet and get to a futuristic Los Angeles, which is very much like Chinatown, kind of took over all of Los Angeles, and it looks kind of it looks dark and foreboding, and it's everywhere. There's a little bit of danger in this futuristic world, and I love movies that have that kind of vision of the future. It's not what I hope for for the future, but I think it makes for great cinema. So I think I'm going to be mostly singing the praises of of Blade Runner, even this U.S. theatrical version with this kind of hokey ending on the whole lot I really enjoy it so what do you think about this particular version of Blade Runner and if you want to comment on the Blade Runner as a whole uh, the another day I'll also talk about the sequel which I'm a, a big fan of I wasn't sure how that was going to turn out but another Canadian content Denis Villeneuve yeah. came in and directed the sequel and uh, he's a a very hot director these days so he is i i'm not a fan of the sequel okay um, i didn't like it i thought it looked beautiful i thought like art artistically it was great so yeah so i no i like blade runner i actually didn't see it until the 90s the early 90s and i can't remember if it was like 92 they actually had a special presentation at tiff the toronto international film festival and i can't remember if that was like when they had that like that was the day the premiere of the director's cut or but on I, that was non-narration for those of you who, who want to like understand if you haven't seen any of these versions it was without narration so this was um first time i was seeing it and it was the elgin theater so it's this huge gorgeous like it, it looks like an opera house inside and so seeing it with this amazing sound and this brand new version of it for the first time is a very it, it gets you it's like a real movie experience and so i was i guess like early 20s because when Blade Runner came out in 1982 I was only 11 so I didn't go to the theater to see it and I just never got around to seeing it so seeing that version of it the first time it blew me away I just love but the the future is now the past for us because of 2019 so it's two years ago technically which is very weird <laughs> It's still very weird to think that we're now past the Blade Runner year. Yeah. That's anyway. dystopian elements to 2019. Not necessarily as much as 2020, but certainly <sighs> not to this level, no. Yeah. But I love the I'm I the the film that I would compare most to is 2001, just for that and I I like some parts of 2001. I don't like it uh, as a film like overall, but mm -hmm. it's what uh, what Kubrick viewed as the future that Scott did for Blade Runner. And I like what Ridley Scott did better for Blade Runner because it just, I, I don't know if it's, it's I like the grittiness of it. It just seemed more realistic <laughs> to me. I liked, I liked the look of 2001, but Blade Runner, it just seemed to be, it just seemed very real. So it's a film that I really like. So it was really interesting and I watch it. I don't need to watch it all the time I've got my films that like I throw on all the time you know for comfort films or to you bring me out like I have severe anxiety and depression and so there are films that I'll throw on a lot that help me you know feel better and get out of that so Blade Runner I can go like 
a few years between watching it. Like I don't need to watch it all the time. Like yep. it's like, oh, it's been three years since I've seen it. I'll put it on because then I'm like, I'm really appreciating it. And like every time you watch it, you kind of, even though you've seen it so many times, it's like, oh my God, like you're appreciating something else. I don't know if it's just because now it's like we're, <laughs> it got closer to 2019 and just seeing where things were, but it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, I just appreciate it more and more as the years go on. But this is the first time in a long time that I listened to this version or I watched this version with the narration and it really threw me at the start. I was like, oh, so I was glad that when you said, like, I was happy that you chose Blade Runner. I'm like, cool. And then when you said, like, it was going to be this version, I was just like, now I'm I, now I'm even more, like, intrigued and happy that this was the choice you made. And it was just, it just, it was this, but it seemed like a cheesy film noir at the start because it was just like, you know, she said her name. It's not that, that, not that with this was the dialogue, but she said her name was Sally, you know, and she, you know, she could stuff a dime on its head. You know, it just sounded like that. It just it didn't it didn't feel right at the start and I was just like you know have I become and there have been times I've like been a little bit of a cinephile elitist and I'm like have I become a cinephile snob I'm like I'm only watching the director's cut don't even show me that other kind right but it does have you know it's 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 good and bad points and I like the the so this this version even though I do like happy endings it's like I like the I don't like this version it's like this version it just seems when there's no narration it's really I'm enjoying it more and then the ending and I'm like I'm I'm waiting for that <laughs> that other part because of the, the the version that I prefer and so it was just like oh it was a very weird feeling I had when it ended so and then, then the credits start I heard the director's cut because I didn't see it like in 1992 but that was the first one I saw that when you reached the end of the director's cut there were gasps yeah that, that's where they, they stopped it they cut it off and that, that's the end of the movie and it's like oh that's totally different. I mean, yeah. Because uh, there's there's the whole, like, you know, spoiler, they're like the dream, like Harrison Ford has these dreams with the unicorn, right? And then, and then, so this is like a huge thing in the film. And then at the end, I know I keep saying, I don't need to keep saying spoiler alert. If you've gotten this far, you know we're saying stuff. Yeah. But then at the end of the film, when Harrison Ford looks down and sees the origami by, I call him Ejos, Edward James Olmos. I can't remember his character's yeah. name, but and then it's a unicorn. You're like, oh my god! And then so that's the thing. And then he goes in the elevator, and then so the audience is still like, what? Because you're like, fuck. But this in, other way, have we been had any idea of what's actually going on? I mean, it's really Gaff is the name of Edward James almost char character. He he's a really interesting portrayal there. Very like borderline over the top, big facial expressions, but it it makes you uneasy in the, the best possible way. So, like, the cast here is really, really good, so I wanted to pay a little bit of service to a few other actors there. I think mm -hmm. this is a good role for Harrison Ford, but it's not the Harrison Ford show. I mean, he... he, he He's, he was the right guy for the, the job, for sure. This was between this was between Empire and Jedi. So so it was like literally when we had to wait three years <laughs> to see the next Star yeah. Wars film. I mean, I didn't see Blade Runner, like I said back then. But if you did, you know, it would be like, oh, you know, so Han Solo's frozen in carbonite, and then oh, at least I can see him in this film. <laughs> 
before yeah. Jedi. Um, and the Indiana, Indiana Jones movies, I forget if they were the year after. They, they were starting to, you know, only one of them had, had happened, was kind of in that, that time. 81? That's right. I think Raiders was 81. And then I can't remember if the second awful Mid-80s one. Mid-80s for Temple of Doom. And then 89 for, 89 for Lost Crusade. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he people knew, like this guy, a, a genuine movie star at this point. Rutger Hauer, uh, oh. this I think is the role that he's... He'll be remembered for. He recently died last year, I believe. Roy Batty, who he is like this Adonis of a replicant and seems indestructible, but he's also super smart. Mm-hmm. And he's a very villain. But I, I really like, you know, the climax of the movie is big and dark and rainy and everything. And his, when he, he's, he, he's facing off against Deckard, Harrison Ford's mm. character. How that resolves is pretty clever, yeah. you know? And it is kind of borderline, like, I think it's Rucker Howard, like, he, he chose kind of a wolf as a character, and, and he becomes a wolf, or almost a werewolf towards the end. It's a spectacular performance, and it just, in, in somebody else's hands, I think it could turn out to be really over-the-top or campy and kind of take you out of the movie, but it's, it's kind of frightening, and it works well, and it works really well with this actor mm-hmm. Sean Young I talked about Sean Young when I reviewed Wall Street for example interesting like somebody who had throughout the 80s and you know, a little bit into the 90s had pretty decent career mostly supporting roles but as I understand it had some some troubles into the 90s and kind of her, her career dissipated there I, I think she does a good job as Rachel Mm-hmm. If we end up talking about the Blade Runner sequel, there's stuff there that I was really excited to see as kind of a payoff with uh, with that, that character. But she's, you know, appears to be human at first, but then Decker realizes that, okay, she's she's a replicant who works for the Tyrell Corporation, but she's mm-hmm. not used in the same way. But she is totally convinced that she's a human being. And I I, I like that relationship. I think she does a good job in the with, with her performance. Yeah, she was really um, great. Daryl Hannah, like yes. I sometimes I think I like Daryl Hannah more when she's playing a villain. <laughs> she's this replicant, but she looks really kind of like this punk, you know, blonde-haired replicant or whatever. And she uses her her charms to kind of uh, trick this. What, what would you call me? Is like this toy designer yeah. who has worked for, for Terrell, and it's kind of a means to get to Terrell himself uh, by Rutgerhauer and and Daryl Hannah. I think I like that performance grows on me more and more. Just how how manipulative of it is like I, I don't know why I always forget when Kill Bill came out mm. I was like oh she's playing such a villain about a character for her and I was like watching this I was like no she's done this before and, and she does it really well I think she kind of perfected it a little bit more in the Kill Bill films yeah. um, just a little bit more mature as an actor at that point she was pretty young I think when she was in this film I liked her so I feel like I'm saying all kinds of nice things uh, about the cast here Byron James it's a uh, great Joanna cast. yeah uh, Joanna Cass and M Emmett Walsh every time yes. he gets called in it's like you know come on <laughs> I like Edward James almost uh he actually created that language they named it city speak oh, and he was the one like this is this really neat trivia thing that I, I I only found out about like a couple of years ago like he was the one who created like I already love Edward James almost and then he was the one that came up with that I'm like oh my god like how cool can he get it was really neat, but I thought him and Emmett Wallace were really great yeah, together. What's like, it's, it's interesting for somebody who's been involved with 
film as long as Edward James almost, but he's still underrated. He's, yeah. he's not one of the names that people always think about, but if you look at his filmography, it's pretty consistent, the work that you get from him in film and, and television as well. And But this is such a different character for him. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. what he would normally be cast as. He's kind of been like the patriarch in some shows about Latino families over the last several years, and he used to be in some prison movies and different things like that, but this was, uh, this is a very unique performance too, so Ridley Scott, I think this is one of his best films, I love Alien, I love Blade Runner, I love when he does something completely off the rails, like not that you wouldn't pick pick him to be the director for Thelma and Louise, for example, Uh, but he is, he was, and he had an Oscar nomination for it, and you know, it's not a perfect filmography, some of his films are not as great, but I I feel like Blade Runner and Alien, that's always going to be the ones that we remember him yes, uh, for, for sure. and we keep kind of waiting for the next great Ridley Scott film The Martian was a positive I, I like The Martian but there's a, it, was a little bit more, it was a little bit more mainstream like this was those two movies in really three year period changed science fiction for, for cinema and yeah. and so we keep hoping that he still has that in him but even if he doesn't he has he has this film and I like that he keeps going back to it and I think he's done now he said you know when he said final cut that must mean that it's the you know this has finally reached the version of the story that, that he's satisfied with so yeah, yeah. and I like his director cuts and his theatrical cuts are different it isn't just like a couple small things or extended dialogue scenes or something like they are in many ways different films even though they tell the same story it's an excellent film and it still holds up i use home again home again jiggity jig like a lot like that's uh you know oh my god i can't remember the character's name but his toys that greet him when he when he comes home See, I've got... Uh, we have Sebastian, played by yes. William Sanders. We yes, Sebastian. I love that actor. I feel and so I, bad for his character. Like yeah, he's, I know. You know. Yeah, and the way he gets manipulated there. And he, he's such a sweet guy, and he, he means well, but he just trusted the wrong person. It's it's true. I think, actually, Daryl Hannah, like that, it's set out that way, and she's still going to carry through what they're, you know, what they were going to do. But I think she does actually like him, because she I think they, you know, it's not expanded, but it's just like, I think she can understand he's alone. You know, they're alone. There's only a few of them left or whatever. And it's just like, he's also somebody who's understood. I mean, they were still going to do their stuff no matter what. And unfortunately he was going to get hurt. But I think there is in little bits here and there, you can see that it's just like, you know, oh, she actually sees this, him as like a somebody and not just like a Mark. But you serve up that he has such a crush on her like he is yeah. so he's fallen for her and like she likes him and he is friendly enough with him but I, she's well aware of that like she's a robot and everything but she's well aware of how she's manipulating him and making him think I think that he has a chance and then Rucker Hauer comes in and then they just start making out right in front of him and he's just like yeah. looking down and just okay that makes sense and does anybody want breakfast I'm gonna go make you breakfast <laughs> you know Oh. Yeah, it, I, I liked the watching it. I said the scene in like the the freezer, <laughs> the guy with the eyes. Oh, I, that gross! I can't I watch that. It grosses me out. But I like how you see Brian James like sticks his hand and he goes, "No, that's freezing," and he just sticks his hand and it doesn't like affect him, even though it should have had like. And then in the other scene, it's Daryl Hannah sticks her hand in the boiling thing with the eggs. I just I just like that showing that you know just to show you 
what these, you know, replicants are like. Like they, they won't feel this. And her death scene still scares the crap out of me. Like when he shoots her and then she's like flailing and that scream that comes from her. It's still one of the most frightening things I've seen in cinema. It's so well done and it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. Like I actually, Daryl Hannah could have had, and she's touched on this in some of her roles uh, and even some of her lesser roles. I think she could have had a pretty good career as a horror movie actor mm -hmm. because we see touches of that in there and like, again, I keep going back to Kill Bill, particularly in volume one with that eye patch and yeah. Yeah, that music starts off sweet and then becomes really nasty. Yeah, she plays those notes really well. Yeah, I think we're both fans of Blade Runner. I just, it was a good thing that he didn't leave it alone. Yeah. That's the movie. And I think he probably for 10 years was just, every once in a while would be grumbling at, you know, what could have been with that and that. And so then when he got a hold of it or he got the rights to do his director's cut and to release it, then mm. I think he was happy. And then even then he still was kind of looking at it and then they had this, this final cut. But, but I'm not going to review all seven versions of it. Uh, <laughs> no. But three might three might even be uh, one too many, but uh, but I plan to revisit this some other point. But no matter which version of Blade Runner, I'm a fan. It's it's the type of science fiction I really dig. Seven hundred years into the future, mankind will leave our planet, leaving Earth's cleanup in the hands of one incredible machine. His name is Wally. After all these years, he's developed one little glitch. A personality. He's extremely curious. And just a little bit lonely. But all that is about to change. to move around the cabin. Here's where I admire Pixar is every few years they will take a risk with 
a film which I don't think on the surface seems like it would work for families and for kids. Some examples were, I, I, I might say Up would be one of them. Certainly Inside Out. I mean, setting an entire movie in inside the, the mind of a pre-adolescent female. How do you pitch a movie like that and get it greenlit? And it is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. But Wally is a film that actually asks kids for probably a half an hour or so, maybe 45 minutes to essentially watch a silent film about really the last robot on earth, cleaning up the pollution that was left behind when the human race left earth and basically abandoned it because they could not survive on that planet anymore. And the only sound we have is, well, basically we just have Wally watching an old VHS tape of, of a of Broadway musical. Hello, uh, Dolly. And and then it's one little companion there, which is... Uh, uh, well, it's kind of like a little cockroach. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of sweet, but that's not something where they're communicating with each other. And just to have the patience to do that and to set the entire world. And then one day, this mysterious creature, another robot, more advanced than Wally, shows up. Turns out it's a female robot, and then there's a little bit of a an unusual love story that develops there. But this robot goes into a mode and cannot communicate anymore with Wally, and Wally's just trying to save and protect her with everything he can do, even if he gets electrocuted a hundred times or whatever in different storms and stuff. It's really sweet, but then, of course, we end up being beamed up to this ship where the human race now survives and is really unaware of what has become of them. And and it's just Wally's, you know, tunnel vision love for Eve, this other robot, and trying to protect Eve and is the entire motivation for going through this ship and going through this rather interesting adventure. I guess I might argue that when they leave Earth, I don't think it's as good a movie as that opening 45 minutes or so, which is some of like the, the best moments in the history history of, of Pixar, but we're, we're, we have some heavy hitter science fiction movies we're talking about. Wally definitely belongs in there with when we're talking about Blade Runner and Contact, like some of these movies that are quote unquote adult serious science fiction movies. The satire is sharp. Everything about it is just so creative and so well done. And uh, I, I'm, I think I'm each time I see Wally, and I, I, I don't watch it on a regular basis. This was maybe my third time seeing it. I became a bigger and bigger fan of it. I know lots of people had it as the best, one well, of the best of the decade, and for that first decade of of the 21st century. And I kind of understand what they mean in my recent viewing of it. So, what do you think about Wally? I, oh, I love this film. I love this film. That's so a relief. Yeah. I, I love. <laughs> Pixar, I Inside Out is my Pixar film. I it's it's so oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. God, I could just go out about Pixar films. I have not watched any of the cars films and I don't want to. I watched one of them. I haven't watched it. I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of over the sequels to a lot of the except for Toy Story. For some reason, Toy Story is the exception. Yeah. But the sequels to a lot of the other ones turn into diminished returns. Wally. 
I love so much. I really don't, I didn't write any notes because I just, I just watched it. And I was like, oh, because I don't remember the last time that I watched it. I, it's basically like two different films, yeah. like it, but I think it works. And it's actually, you think that like the first half of the film is the science fiction part, which it is like, it's what earth has like what's left of it but then you go and it is a totally different film when you get to the ship and you see that everybody is like utterly obese and they float around on these like you know they're basically like floating uh lounge chairs all over the place with a view screen in front of them so they're not there's so many of them but there, it was very interesting while still in a pandemic to watch people interact only through a view screen with each other. That was an interesting feeling to have while watching it. And then one of the comments when we first see Mary, who's the one woman that we get to know, and she's talking to her friends and says like, oh, you know, don't get me started. Like every hollow date I've been on is like, you know, so superficial or something like that. And it's just like yeah so they don't even there's like they date on this screen so there's mm -hmm. not even there's no human interaction whatsoever so that watching that now was like oh my god like that was yeah, really i mean it's yeah but the fact that it's like oh breakfast in a cup lunch in a cup oh here's your special you know don't forget the 700th anniversary set blah blah blinga cupcake in a cup like everything is just something that they just keep getting handed these cups there's no exercise there's no nothing there's no that like what is the point so but it's actually that's kind of science fictiony and then when they find out like the captain finding out about earth eventually when eve Eda comes back with the plants and then he's like <laughs> the manual yo manuel it's like a very star trek moment you know like in uh yeah. the voyage home is computer you know hello yeah. computer. so i love that part but like he's he's and then he goes to his computer and he's like define dance you know and define c and define hoedown like so <laughs> earth is total science fiction to them which is like this really interesting like different perspective that you weren't expecting and so i thought it was just showing i mean you and i are canadians <laughs> we like to walk places i'm not saying all of it i've been done shows and a bunch of things in the united states i've been there a lot not recently obviously but it's just i sometimes i'm like i'm hearing people complaining about oh i have to walk so i'm like it's a block it's just not I mean, New York is different, but it's just like walking seems to be this foreign thing to a lot of Americans. They have to drive everywhere. You don't walk. But, so it's really weird. So seeing, so when this film came out, it was 2008. And just seeing, it's just like, yeah, we're seeing people, unfortunately, getting bigger and bigger. And if you're not having to do anything and all of this stuff is like taking care of you. Yeah. the Having Fred Willard be... Yeah. <laughs> Be the, the by and large, oh my god, the United States or whatever he was. God, and that, again, another challenge we've recently lost, you know, there's been so many yeah. people this year. So, yeah. God, uh, he was pretty perfect, but then 
in his message, he's like, oh, you'll be heading back to Earth. And he goes, well, you know, you may have experienced some bone loss. And they're showing the thing. And I mean, it's I mean, it's supposed to be a, a comedy part, but it's also it's very sad because unfortunately there are it's also with the healthcare state in the United States. It's like people can't afford healthcare, which is horrific. And so but you're just on this ship and everything's taking care of you and just relax. You go from bed in you you're in the same like says lounge. You just sleep in yeah. it and then the I really like the detail of everything had to follow this this line. It was very Tron. I liked that. <laughs> and yeah, and then so it's literally it's not like they have to oh, I got to turn right here. Like they literally are, have all become so lazy like there's nothing they just kind of go shade and then the umbrella comes to cover him or it's just like take this cup or whatever so it's kind of like it's kind of a really sad and scary future i mean if you really think about it it's just like this is what society has become it's like there's no you're just watching you're talking to people on a screen there's no sports. There's no, there's no musicians. There's no arts. I mean, you can watch stuff on a screen, but there's no, nothing you're physically partaking in. You're not, you're not learning anything. You're not growing. Like this is what, this is what humanity is. We, we learn and just, it's, ah. so to see it in this state, it's really, it's a really, they do it. So it's like, you know, funny and, and stuff. Um, but it is, it is like when you really think about it, it's also a dystopian future. One thing I like is like, there are a couple of the human beings that are in this little crash that happens and they get out of those pods they're in. Yeah. And it's John, played by John Ratzenberger, who, yeah. uh, Claire from Cheers, who does voices in pretty much every Pixar movie. Yeah, he always Najimi, to hear his voice. <laughs> Kathy Najimi from Hocus Pocus and Sister Act plays Mary. And they kind of meet each other, have a genuine human connection. And they discover there's a swimming pool here. And they're like, when they're trying to shut everything down, they're bouncing around and enjoying being, doing some sort of activity in actual human interaction. So that, that, that's a nice touch in that sequence. I should, again, I should remind people that this was a movie for families and kids, right? And it's big, big ideas. Like what a risk. And it paid off for this film company. I mean, I guess they had made enough bank on Toy Stories and Bugs Life and, and that, that they were established enough by this point that they knew that they could take more risks and I'm glad that they do. I think yeah. that frees them from some of the other animation studios outside of like Studio Ghibli or something which always has done this. But I, I think there's a lot more studios that go it's safe to only have animation for kids and we really have to sort of spoon feed and pander to the lowest common denominator. Pixar doesn't do that and certainly Wally doesn't do that. I and again, I when I've, I I mean I've looked back here and I, I think a lot of it is Andrew Stanton. Like when I take a look at his the Pixar movies he's done, these are the ones that are to me ones to be celebrated. You know, I, I just think he's he's a very talented fil filmmaker and mm -hmm. Really came up with something that was kind of amazing here. So enormous fan. I feel like we should probably say some negative things just to balance the four. <laughs> I know. I just these films are so wonderful because they. Yes, it's it's kids. It's like the Bugs Bunny cartoons that we grew up with. It's like you've got the funny stuff for the kids, but the the adult humor. <laughs> 
subject matter is like, wow, I didn't get that when I was a kid, but like hearing it now. And it's just the messages, like everything they're doing in Pixar films, like the messages are like they subtly come out and you might not realize you're seeing it when you watch it the first time if you're just going to be entertained by a film but it's just like it's pixar is saying it's okay to not be okay and to talk about it here you go yeah and i just think you know they also trust kids that kids are smarter than they're giving credit for and that they will go along with it. You're right. They, you know, they won't necessarily get everything, but when they revisit these movies, they enjoyed when they were kids and they go back and watch it and like, wow, those are great big ideas that I now understand in a different way versus some family movies. Like you go back to when you're an adult and you're like, wow, that was so stupid. What did I like about that? Like that was just, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, it has a purpose, but it doesn't have uh, a greater ambition. And I think Pixar, there, not all of them, but a lot of them have, you know, big ideas and that, like, kind of a great ambition behind them. And Wally is maybe the most ambitious. I think it's kind of between it and, and Inside Out. Mm-hmm. I think Inside Out, I just did not see them going in that direction. And I was just so happy. That was one of my favorite movies of that particular year. And it, it's another one that I don't actually have a physical copy of it, but it is such a great film too. But yeah, big props to Wally. Really my only criticism of it. And I like that sequence on the ship way more this time, even though it had a little bit more of the humor, a little bit more of the action. And I would have been satisfied just watching Wally's journey on earth, I guess. But they, they had to have kind of a third act for the film and, and, they, and to make the bigger point that they're trying to make with the film, it was necessary. But the opening to this film and the first 45 minutes are as close to perfect as an animated movie could ever get, or as any movie could really get. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's so great, and, I, and I'm glad that it caught on, it was made money, and that kids enjoyed it. But I also know that uh, many adults enjoyed it too, so. It's, yeah, that's so good. I get quite a few points here, even though it's not like some adult fare, I guess. But I think this is also an adult movie and a very worthy science fiction film. Anything yeah. Anything else you want to say about Wally? I... I love that when they when they take Wally, they're like, oh, go clean him up or whatever. But then he gets kind of paddocked up with all the other, you know, misfits or, you know, the the, the robots or whatever that are problem robots. Uh, and then he frees, <laughs> he accidentally frees them all. But it's just like, that's great. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's the funny gag as well. But it's also in the end, it's just everybody, everybody is, we're all in this together. They're art and i don't know i'm gonna start crying <laughs> if yeah. don't really if i go into like this like deep thesis of wally it's just people push you into like this the, you know you're this and you're this package and you don't belong and we don't want to have anything to do with you and it's just like no it's so good yeah. and the boxing <laughs> the boxing robot he yeah, that, that was funny. Yeah. The other one I liked, I, I know this was sort of an easy gag, but it, I, I liked how they followed through with it. There was that one robot that's obsessed with decontaminating yes. everything. The whole path that Wally takes right up until that moment. You are now clean or something, whatever that line yeah. is there. That, that's brilliant. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the short animated. You could have an entire thing about that character. It was just a nice side character there. and I loved him. And then when you saw the big versions of Wally that were that were 
compacting the garbage to shoot into space. And then when Mo is the one who like helps prevent the doors from closing and then kind of saves Eve and Wally, and then they bring him in. And the two the shot from above of the two larger Wally machines just looking down, shining the light upon their their the little version of themselves was Oh my God, it was literally, there's so many moments that you can like cry in this film that are so touching. But if you do, cause we'll move on. We just love Wally. Yeah. It just, the film ended. That's the bad thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah. you watch Wally, I know I've always, cause I've always loved movies and I've always been like that one person who's her whole life has sat in the theater to watch the entire credits. I know it's a thing now because the Avengers films, I'm like, I've always done this. So I'm like, I'm glad they have things at the end. If, so if you watch Wally, watch through the credits because they've got the really great Peter Gabriel song. And then it's just kind of showing like how the society, like in these like little like paintings and stuff, like start to rebuild society. And it's really cool. But then they go into like this pixelated version of like Wally and Eva that come. And then all of a sudden they've got like these tire tracks that go along the side of the credits. And then little Mo is like, eh. And then he's like cleaning it. So he'll go up to one side and then down the other. And there's little things like that that go throughout the whole credits. So even if you don't read the names, then it's then you've got that little thing to uh, to watch, which is very cute. Yeah, and of course, Marvel wasn't the first one to have these little Easter eggs throughout the credits. But I'm certainly glad there's some hard, hard working people behind all of these films. I mean, that's why it's five to ten minutes of, of names at the end. And everybody who works on the film needs to be recognized, not just the actors and the writer and director. And and so that's, yeah, that's a very good point. And every once in a while, you'll get something amazing if you stay till the end. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. for the hardship I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass all I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for ladies and gentlemen you are not in Kansas anymore you are on Pandora you should see your faces we have an indigenous population called the Navi they are very hard to kill this is why we're here because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit, and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA, mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs back. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. I want you to gain their trust. 
be here. Go back. All this is your fault. I need your help. Now we're going to be talking about uh, dances with blue people or uh, <laughs> Fern Gully in 3D. Fern, Fern Gully in 3D. So James Cameron, another Canadian, interesting character for sure. And <laughs> this is this is only my second time watching Avatar. I watched it in theaters when it first came out, and I really was a fan of it. I actually was quite blown away. I wasn't to the point where I thought it should win Best Picture or any of that, even though it came darn close. But I. I appreciated it. It was beautiful. And it was the first time that I saw a 3D movie and I didn't have a massive headache at the end of it. There was something in the technology they used at that time that James Cameron had where the 3D wasn't annoying me because I was avoiding 3D movies up until that point. I've seen a couple 3D movies, not a lot, but a few since then that I've really enjoyed. But this was the first one. And so I think I was maybe wowed by the spectacle of it and the fact I wasn't pissed off about the 3D because I was like, this is going to be a three-hour 3D movie. Am I, I'm going to want to like whatever by the end. I didn't recognize how bad <laughs> writing is. James Cameron. He's he's known as he's he's a better director. He needs to hire a writer or at least a co-writer for his films. But I think as far as like the special effects and the overall vision, he is a very a great director. I mean, I I think you know going back for me, Terminator Two was just amazing. Yeah. It was like a step above Back to the Future Two when I was a kid. For look at what movies can be right. And I'm a defender of Titanic as well. Yay! <laughs> Bad lines in there for sure too, but it doesn't. I don't think it bothers me as much in Titanic as it does this time watching Avatar. That said, I feel like I am still. My thumb is still up with Avatar. I have some friends who absolutely despise this movie and feel like it was like should be the death of James Cameron's career. And the fact that he's doing all of these sequels is just such a waste of his talent and time and he should be doing something else but i'm not gonna be that much of a hater when it comes to avatar but it has its limitations and i think sometimes it's i think characterization writing perhaps this is you know i think meaning well to have an allegory about the genocide of what's happened to native americans in the united states and uh a criticism of colonialism all of that is good i think his heart's in the right place but making it all blue people in this you know virtual world or whatever i i think has for some people on upon revisiting it struck the wrong note perhaps even done the opposite of what james cameron thought he was doing it's interesting too that the best performance is i would i would say would be zoe 
Seldania, Seldania, if you name. I think. And we never get to actually see her, but she feels like the closest to a three-dimensional character that we have and maybe gives the best performance. Sigourney Weaver, you know, collaborator back to Aliens uh, with James Cameron. And good for him. He has created some of, like, some really badass female roles. Uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton in Terminator would be the big one, but also kind of took Ripley to another level in Aliens for sure. But I was surprised how bad I thought Sigourney Weaver was in this movie. And she's not bad, even if she's in a bad movie. So something has gone wrong on that front, too. I'm kind of relieved to this day that I was cheering for... Catherine Bigelow to win because I it was about time that a female won Best Director. Also, I thought it was knowing what kind of a jerk James Cameron is to have his ex-wife beat him in that category and yeah. then to beat him in the Best Picture category was kind of sweet vengeance in some ways too. Mm -hmm. and just really The Hurt Locker is a much better movie. Whether it was the best movie of that year, it certainly is a better movie than Avatar. So I'm kind of glad that Avatar didn't sweep the awards like Titanic did because it looked like that was what was going to happen that year and it became a bit of a different story in the end so so that's all i i'm rambling about avatar i haven't even talked about plot have i <laughs> what plot it's well, you don't even need to here's what it is there's a marine whose brother has died and for some reason that i don't quite understand uh, <laughs> This Marine, who has no qualifications whatsoever, is allowed to enter as an avatar to this world to try to infiltrate this virtual indigenous tribe. He gets lost because he's arrogant and kind of stupid, kind of falls in love with one of the avatars and starts to learn their language. And then he becomes the key to communicating with them. And then there's these, as there always is in James Cameron movies, these evil corporation people that want to essentially destroy this and move into this Garden of Eden world that they're in to, to take over and, and build and make money. So is that, is that a good enough summary of... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is they they basically this marine guy because they they've created these I can't remember how long it takes for them to make these avatar these ten foot tall blue people thingies but because he was he's the twin brother of the guy who got killed who was supposed to go in the avatar it's like it it's the DNA is already like in there so he's the only other person and then they have to have more than one go in there for some reason anyways I don't know you're defending that decision so that's good all right I'm just I'm just trying to explain it for anybody I don't know who hasn't seen Avatar so y'all thought I hated V for Vendetta <laughs> this is the one I was predicting that we would hear <laughs> oh my god okay so I need to start this off by saying that I've always got a story so I've got uh on top of you know the anxiety and depression I've got vertigo so I can't watch 3D films like I, it's, I get my horrifically sick and if my equilibrium goes off, then I'm like, like bedridden for days. It's like really bad. Um, so I can't watch 3d films. So I, I did not. So any of these big films that come out, I don't, I have to wait until like they, like, you know, it's a regular film. I'm like, I just want to see this film on the big screen. Just seeing it on a big screen is cool. But I didn't go, I'm like, you have to see Avatar because it's blah, blah, blah. Now what James Cameron has done for cinema he's done some revolutionary stuff and so that's very cool like there there's there's no arguing what he's contributed right like that's it's pretty awesome and what he did is very 
cool because you go through all these you know different phases and revolutions in cinema you know like the the silent films and then to the talkies you know to color and blah 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 and all this stuff and so he you know whether you like him or not he's actually part of this next huge development of cinema in general and and filmmaking and the technology um, George Lucas that's true yes Yes. cinema would not be the same without George Lucas. No, this is very true. I'm yeah. and as a Star Wars fan, I apologize. But then he made the prequels. But anyway, so basically, I am acknowledging that James Cameron has done some good stuff. That being said, <laughs> because I couldn't watch Avatar, like I couldn't get the whole experience, and I'm like, well, I'm not. There's no point in seeing a regular version. I'll just, I'll see it eventually. So a year after it came to like DVD and Blu-ray, my best friend who lived in the apartment next door to me got it. And he's like, oh, you got to come over and watch it. <laughs> and I sat, <laughs> I sat on his couch and like 20 something minutes in, I reached over for the row and I paused it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. This is like the biggest steaming pile of dog shit. <laughs> Like I've ever heard, like I've never heard anybody talk badly about this film. Like was everybody literally just on drugs from the special effects and not paying attention to this dialogue that's just horrific? And I just applaud right here and say, you're going to get along really well with uh, my friend, Harry <laughs> Parsons. Um, his podcast rank and review because he if you listen to his review of avatar he said he felt like he was the last person on earth who 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 didn't could see through this movie he did not understand what the big deal was so continue sorry i interrupted you but oh, I no that's okay i'm gonna have to but yet that feeling existed yeah put us in contact like and then i was like i was like i and i'm glad that i lived in the apartment next door and i'm like i i'm gonna go <laughs> I'm like, I can't, because then it was like, we were the only ones there watching it. And I'm like, I'm going to go. So you have fun watching it. This is like, so bad. So I had that hanging over me because what that was, Avatar was 2009. So I guess it was like 2010 or something that I guess it came to. So anywho, so I, when you put this on the list, I was really happy because I was like, okay, I'm interested to see, I'm going to watch the whole film. So I'm going to see if maybe, maybe I was in a mood that day or, or something. I'll see what it's like. And yeah, so it starts and then it, it, it has this horrific film noir narration from Sam Worthington. Yeah. And yeah, this this one was. And he's like, when I was lying there. And this is not it's like when I was lying there, whatever. And it's talking about him in this claustrophobic chamber thing. And he goes, you know, I was free. And I'm like, three minutes and 35 seconds into the film, I already want to be free of this. <laughs> this is like, it's so bad. So basically, so the fact that, oh, so being in those things is like claustrophobic. I'm like, I don't want to look at that. Luckily, we don't see too many shots of him in, in this, in the yeah. this little freezer thingy. But when we meet, when we go and we find out what it is they want and everything, they don't really explain anything well ever. But they talk about this thing that they really want to get from the Navi uh, and it's unobtainium. 
And I'm like, bitch, please. Unobtainium was in the core in 2003, which I fucking love. That is a cheesy disaster film that holds a special place in my heart. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. But all of the actors seem to be like, they know what kind of film they're in. It's it's Aaron Eckhart and Hilary Swank and Stanley yeah. Tucci and yeah. Delroy Lindo and Bruce Greenwood. And it's just fucking awesome. Yeah. And I love it so much. So anywho, Unobtainium was in that first. So you, you can just fuck off right there. So I, there's no there's no plot. There's no point in explaining anything to anybody listening. But you've all probably watched Avatar. So anywho, I kind of liked the, the thing where he had to do a video log because it was just like, oh, that's another thing that, you know, I started doing regular Facebook Live videos last year throughout the, the quarantine to help my sanity get through it. And then also just like a lot of people really liked having something to watch. So I kind of liked that. I, I, I connected with that. I'm like, hey, connecting with something. And then he actually says in one of them, the days are starting to blend together. And I'm like, yep, 2020 for sure. So then, oh my God. I've just written 53 minutes. I think I'm still about to like pull my hair out 53 minutes into the <laughs> into the film where we finally go to Homewoods, their big tree. This is the thing. So they, oh, people, so they have to have these avatar character thingies because of the poisonous gas in this world. Yet, it's totally fine for you to put on this flimsy little gas mask to kind of cover your face. Everybody's fine with that walking around the military like shooting away i'm like really why if it's poisonous gas and it's literally awful like wouldn't your skin start to get irritated as well like wouldn't you and you just kind of slip you're not in like a, a an ev suits like an astronaut thing or whatever you just got this flimsy little elastic holding this thing and at times you can see it's like it's not covering certain parts so it's oh it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous. And the only good thing about the film for me is Stephen Lang. Oh you, oh, you liked him? I, because he is so, I think he's in on the joke. He, Stephen Lang, I think is very much the same in real life as his character. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like, you want this character? You're going to fucking get this character, man. And he's just, and he's out and about at one point. He doesn't need a mask. And I'm like, oh, right. Here, put on a mask. Whatever. No mask. He's on fire fire at one point yeah. don't worry about it i'm fine no don't need a mask and i'm on fire that's okay i can walk around and then how oh whatever oh i'm going all over but it doesn't really matter the, 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 like thought, he's such a typical james cameron character though everyone's like, one-dimensional in this film like he's, he's one-dimensional military all machismo type of whatever and just kind of serves the the purpose of the movie and, and that's about it and yeah. that's where I, I i actually like kind of unpopular opinion that i like alien way more than aliens and it's just because some of some of those characterizations are in aliens as great a sequel as it is no doubt about it but he goes to that well with these characters over and over and over mm -hmm. again this like might paul riser in aliens yeah. is giovanni rabisi in avatar yeah exactly i mean yeah it's 
So kind of the same thing, and I, I just get a, a little bit tired of it. And this was <laughs> maybe the like the maybe the thinnest of all of those characters. And so again, it, it didn't spoil the entire movie for me, but I I guess it's like the, the cinematography is great. Like the like the world is is interesting despite the flaws. And I think we should be asking these hard questions and fighting the movie if it's going to be claiming it's a best picture winner. Oh. Like if the core or an anaconda or some movie like that. <laughs> where everybody knows and there's over the top and, and, and playing along with it. And we don't need to ask, ask the hard questions. We just have to enjoy the spectacle of it. But because, you know, this big message and this big James Cameron, like this is a super important follow-up to Titanic, I, I think, you know, we, we need to be asking these questions and poking holes in, in where, where there are holes to be poked in this film. So it's, there was one, Oh my God. There was one line that I think before he attaches himself to that orange and black dragon thingy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I wrote it. I, sometimes your whole life boils down to one insane move. I liked that line. Yeah. I wrote it. I paused it so that I could write it down, but unfortunately it took an hour and 55 minutes to get to that point and then because I was watching it on Disney Plus I'm like there's another 45 minutes left this film this this was no reason for it to be two hours and 40 minutes it's just it's oh my god I mean I I, there was I mean the big fight scenes if you saw that in 3D that probably looked great so then right like I understand I wrote I wrote so I wrote the line in the before times which is you know (laughs) everything before for 2020 this was a cinematic event so that's what it was but i wrote this down so you go to the theater to see this and i would go to the cinema back in the day like to see a big picture film right like i i wouldn't go out as much but i'm like new mission impossible thought fucking love the mission impossible films you gotta see that on the big screen but it's like okay if you want to keep watching avatar unless you've got your own 3d cinema at your house you can't experience it so you're just going to be watching it on maybe a big screen tv maybe your laptop even like your phone you're not going to have the experience so you're left with this piece of shit script and it's just like even all these years later i still like i i heard the avatar announcements oh they've got the next films coming out and it's just like i'm hearing i'm not paying attention really but it seems people are still excited and i'm like have you not like rewatched it and discovered yeah. that it's awful like oh my god like you know, it's kind of like a an illusionist show or a magic show or something when yeah. you're, you're watching all the tricks it's very entertaining and so maybe the 3d and the immersive theater experience is why i had such a positive time but it was all a it was all like uh, smoke and mirrors. And, and I, totally when I watched it on 2D Blu-ray. It still looks good, but I am left with that awful screenplay and James Cameron's one-dimensional characters and in dialogue with nobody speaks the way that, that his characters do. And I think he has the idea, why doesn't he do, like, this was always my thing with the prequels with George Lucas. Why didn't he call up Lawrence Kasdan again, like he did with Empire and... <sighs> Yeah, and, and like, hey, Lawrence, can you do a draft here? Why doesn't James Cameron find a Lawrence Kasdan or find like there's there's some really like a Denny nobody, Bell- nobody wants to say no to him, and this is what it's become with George Lucas. Like people are afraid to say no to him because yeah. they'll get axed, and it's yeah. just like be, he won't. They don't listen to it. Too much power, I guess, but somebody else 
maybe could have turned this into something better. <laughs> yes. And we would leave the, you know, the technical innovation to James Cameron, innovate, you know, make 3D better. I, I think that this movie and several other releases led to that that fad for a while of the, the 3D televisions. And so you get the glasses, but you'd sit on your couch and you could watch 3D movies that way. But that's now 4K, 8K, whatever TVs have replaced that. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Avatar? Or that- yes. Yeah. I wrote down, this was one of the last lines of the film, Sam, and it, Sam Worthington saying in his voice, I got to talk like him. The time of great sorrow was finally ending. And I was like, good Lord. Yes, it is. Because this film is about to wrap the fuck up and I will be free. <laughs> of this this horror oh my god and it wasn't it wasn't you've got right you've got your bad films that you can like at least laugh at or whatever this was just like i it took me two days to watch this film i had to stop like i got i got like an hour in and i'm like i can't do this I literally have to stop and come back to it. So I was just like, and I knew, yeah, like I watched this yesterday. I started yesterday and then I finished (laughs) this morning because I wanted it to be as fresh as possible. But I, I've already forgotten so much of the film because who cares? Yeah. I just, but what it did for 3D and technology or whatever is amazing. Yes. But just, just no, there's no excuse. There is no excuse for the rest of it. The flip side I would say is I kind of wish we still went back to practical effects, you know, and like Back to the Future 2 did not have any of that technology and they still created a really interesting visual, somewhat cartoonish future, you know, and as an entertainment and it doesn't try to be anything other than a popcorn movie. Avatar tried to be something more and sure it changed filmmaking, but we we never have animals anymore more on in films we always have like a digital animal and i can always tell like it always, it always just looks sort of fake and so yeah. i kind of i kind of miss the, the pre 3d <laughs> digital days of, of filmmaking yeah and i mean i mean if you want if you want to see how this is done right look at john favreau and what he's doing oh yeah now. he's doing great stuff with mandalorian and and marvel and yeah yeah like oh Couple things I want to say. First off, I want to apologize that you had to go through this. And, you know, thank you for thank you for doing this. Um, I didn't know if you were apologizing to me or to the listeners. <laughs> well, I'm apologizing to you because you, you you took time in your life that you can't get back to to watch this. So. Um, but I, I, I did, and I do appreciate that. But you did. You said, "Here's the six. Is this okay? You know, if there's one you want to switch." You were so. You were so. I, I would have removed it. I, I, I want to say some, some nice things. Some of it I already kind of said. It looks pretty. Turn the sound uh, like a sound off movie is another. Uh, <laughs> very there's a movie. Your that, own dialogue. You have the sound off. There's something pretty in the background. I guess my 3D experience was better than with a lot. I think that the music score uh, by late James Horner was a highlight. I think if it was just a dumb action movie and it wasn't taking itself so seriously, we might be a bit kinder to it. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, and that's that, that's all I have. I think you, you did a good job. I, I I didn't I didn't like Giovanni Rabisi, who's an interesting actor. 
He's a, great, he's a very underrated actor. He's really great. And it was just like, oh, you just, I hope you got paid a lot because this was yeah. obviously just a paycheck film for you. A waste of his time. I mean, if you want to check out a great performance by him, this movie called The Gift, uh, not to be confused with this Jason Bateman horror movie from a few years ago, but uh, this movie that Billy Bob Thornton co-wrote, a Sam Raimi mm -hmm. film. He is, that's probably my favorite of his performances. Sigourney Weaver was doing this because she's friends with James Cameron. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't have it as one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but I certainly don't love it as much as when I first saw it in theaters in 2009. I think that's that's where we'll leave Avatar. <laughs> radio source from deep space can neither be confirmed nor denied whatever it is it ain't local position i checked into barometry somewhere in lira i think uh, vega can't be it's only 26 light years away i want all these people out of here you're having sent this announcement all over the world may well constitute a breach of national security oh, this isn't a person-to-person -person call this may be an announcement to get our attention the president has called an emergency meeting. You know those interlaced frames that we thought were noise? This says structure. I'm going to recommend to the president that we militarize this project immediately. There's no reason to believe that their, their intentions are hostile. There's no proof of that. Why don't they just speak English? Mathematics is the only truly universal language, Senator. Buried within the message itself is the key to decoding it. Those look like engineering schematics, almost like blueprints. It is our belief that the message contains instructions for building some kind of machine. A machine? It might turn out to be some kind of a transport. Transport? The fact is, you don't know what it does. It could be anything. Nobody's saying this is dangerous. They're gonna build it. Who gets to go, though? It's complicated, Ellie. Who gets to go? By doing this, you're willing to risk your life. You're willing to give your life and die for this. Why? In 1997, I was really excited in that summer of that year to go see Contact. It was three years since the last Robert Zemeckis film, Forrest Gump, which of course won the Academy Awards. Someday I'll talk about that in that film a little bit. But I, I was really excited. I'm also an enormous Jodie Foster fan. So I was really, really excited to see this movie. And I remember I was just like, it blew my mind. It feels a lot like the Back to the Future conversation. I loved it. I was kind of going like top 10 of that year and Jodie Foster should be up for Best Actress and what a visionary Robert Zemeckis is. Interesting this time around, I think my feelings about it were quelled a little bit. I still appreciate it. I like that it's a... A science fiction movie that's kind of based in reality and deals with issues. But I, I think with this one, unlike Back to the Future, Robert Zemeckis in some ways kind of interferes with his own film. Because you see, you know, the big Alan Silvestri score comes in. And we see a lot of very familiar elements uh, for a Hollywood approach to telling a story like this. 
the flashback to the younger uh, Jodie Foster, played by Jenna Malone. She was so young in that role. It's all important information, but how it's handled is very much a four-year consideration, formulaic, Oscar bait type of thing. And I think that this movie's ideas and based on a book by Carl Sagan, it's it's probably worthy of something that's a little bit more like that. So maybe my respect for the direction, but not the ideas and not the approach is down. But there's a sequence in this movie, which is, again, seen in theaters. It's not quite the same watching it on TV now, but just blew me away. And I was looking forward to it. That was going to be the like the make or break for me to switch from a thumbs up to thumbs down. That sequence holds up. And I think I still think Jodie Foster is really, really good in the movie. So a little bit of plot here. So Jodie Foster plays an astronomer, Dr. Ellie Arroway, who's long been interested in making contact with faraway lands since she was little and she was able to, to listen to a frequency in kind of another part of the world. And this is what her father got her interested in. David Morris, by the way, kind of an underrated actor, plays her father, Ted Arroway. But, and this is where it felt a little bit, I, I kept thinking of Silence of the Lambs with, with Foster's role here. But here's another situation where her, her father dies when she's nine years old and she becomes an orphan. And then she she's working, monitoring extraterrestrial life. But since the funding from the National Science Foundation was pulled on her work, then her superior, David Drumlin, played by Tom Skerritt, an actor I love as well. I'm not sure if I necessarily love, I don't know if it was the character or the performance this time, but he played kind of the, the not likable boss here. And he kind of views her work as more science fiction than science. But when she actually does make contact, he jumps on there and he, he takes credit for, for all of her work, which might sound familiar. When Ellie and her, her colleagues here chatter, originally from the vicinity of the star called Vega, Ellie feels vindicated, but then she's in negotiating uh, with politicians and the military, religious leaders and other scientists who are trying to take over her work. In there is is a minister, somebody who believes in God, theologian played by uh, Arat 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 Matthew McConaughey. This was the year after, in some ways, his big break. Like he was, he was known for Days and Confused and a few other films. But A Time to Kill was the year before, and A Time to Kill and a few other movies kind of made him the it guy for a little while. And so it was considered a little bit of a coup, I think, for Robert Zemeckis to have him in this film. And of course, there's a bit of a love story, which I probably could have done without uh, in here between the two of them. But the ideas of the person who has faith. And the person who doesn't have faith talking about these big ideas, but an event happens in the third act, which totally changes things for the Jodie Foster character. And suddenly she finds that she's now in the position of having to defend something that she cannot prove, much like McConaughey had been kind of through uh, their their conversations earlier in the film. So big ideas. I think it's a, I think it's quite a good film. I'm not sure how many people have seen it or remembered it from 97. So I, I don't want to sound too negative because I would like people to check this out and sort of decide for themselves. But my thumb is very much up still on this one. I like it a lot. I think it's a worthy science fiction film and it's a different one than the other five we've been talking about in many ways, but it's just not as good as the first time I, I saw it. One other thing, one of the controversies with Contact, which caused some problems, and it's kind of funny to hear about that now, but they used actual clips of Bill Clinton while he was still the president for press conferences and it made it look like he was commenting on an alien invasion and they didn't have permission from the White House to do that. 
and so the film got into some some trouble over that. I don't know if that actually hurt its critical reception or its kind of its momentum for the rest of that year. But now you can watch TV shows and movies where they they just put in world leaders. I'm th- thinking of uh, I've only watched the first season of the show, Mr. Robot. There they would show Barack Obama and Stephen Harper, our former prime minister, and all these world leaders making it look like you know something was going on for the convenience of the plot of that show, and they. I don't think they ever gotten into trouble, but this was a big deal back in 1997 that without authorization, they had Bill Clinton appearing uh, in the film using the same technology that Zemeckis used in Forrest Gump to have Forrest Gump uh, talking to JFK and Elvis Presley and, and, and those kinds of people. So anyway, so what are your thoughts on uh, Contact? <clears throat> Contact is one of my favorite films of all time. Okay. Yes. But it the emotional side of things, it's 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 taken on like a different meaning over the years. I loved it when I first saw it in the theaters, yeah. also a huge Jodie Foster fan. But I really understood like the emotional side of her and as somebody struggling to be heard. So that really resonated with me. Most of the time you'll see her sitting and she's literally scrunched up, knees right up, holding herself in and always like alone and alone is like a a thing that's like repeated throughout the film so as the years went on I'm very open about this I'm a recovering alcoholic I've been sober for uh over 13 years now and I seeing it as like because the thing AA I, I don't I talk about it in my my second show a lot that it totally saved my life and I don't preach it. I just like talk about it. But basically the motto of AA is you are not alone. And I didn't understand that until like I walked through the doors for my first meeting, which was like the most difficult thing ever. It was like, I just cried the entire time throughout this whole meeting. So this film takes on a whole different meaning for me now because I see it the same way to my journey in life. Like I've always felt alone. I'm very emotional. I try to (laughs) explain things and get shut down. Like there's a lot of Ellie Arroway in me. But when you're passionate about something and nobody takes you seriously just because of the way you are, you don't fit into this perfect little package that you're supposed to be like David Drumlin, you know, portrayed by Tom Skerritt. He knows how to play the game. Whereas this is like Ellie's entire life. This is what she's been dedicated to. But because David Drumlin knows how to work the magic and play the game properly, he's the one who keeps getting put in charge of things or and is the one who gets to actually go on the on this voyage, which ends up not working out and you're kind of like it's and it's you you he's i was really sad that he wasn't nominated for this performance i thought he was excellent and and i thought that you know that that moment is still really scary and tense when gary not gary bc his son jake bc is there and then he sets off the bomb and how you watch each screen like camera just like and then they all turn and they see the whole picture explode that's still a really powerful scene and then oh it's such a good scene yeah it's so well done um and as much as you hate 
you hate David Dremlin. You hate him. Yeah. In this film, you feel awful because nobody deserves that. Like yeah. he did all the workers there. It's it's just a horrific event. And then a little while did later, what's that? Question: Did you see it coming? No, you didn't but see you that know, scene coming. You knew something. Sometimes I really don't see anything coming. Avatar, you saw everything coming a mile away, but for this, I didn't. Unfortunately, but then, I did. And uh, I knew that was going to happen. And, and so that affected the, like the, it was still well-directed and well put together. You know, I mean, I think Jake Busey was maybe a few notches too evil because we keep seeing him. He's kind of the leader of this religious cult. And then, and then we see his face again and, and like, Oh, bad, bad things are about to happen. But, but yeah, I think if you didn't see that coming, the impact of that would be even more powerful and I think that would give a little bit more credence to the Tom Skerritt character and and his performance and then you feel bad for him and then and then she goes back home and and then you're seeing on the the tv that he's he's being buried at Arlington and you're like oh god damn it like just stop it right you're like after all of that he still like bestowed this honor anyways and you're like but yeah, but but I just it just means this film it's this is a really big film that's like really shows how much emotional connection I have to it yeah. and why it means so much. And so but because she, she goes through the whole thing, I you know, I believe in a higher power. I don't know what it is. I just I'm not religious in any way, but it's just like I've just tried to make my way through life just like feeling like lost and confused and everything and then just started like trying to work on myself once I started to get sober and it's it's a lifelong journey it's not fixed like that and it's just what you're going through and so it's just like her big speech in that whatever the courtroom public hall like realizing like that speech and I don't know if I'm gonna like tear up here but that speech is basically like her well basically her saying you know you feel so like we are we're all so small and insignificant but like beautiful all at the same time like we don't we're not important but we are in the grand scheme of things I I can't you'd think I'd have this speech memorized but (laughs) I don't um and yeah, and it's just like, this is like Matthew McConaughey totally, I understand their connection, like, cause he understands why she's the way she is because mm-hmm. of what her life has been like. And unfortunately this is, she's always had to fight for things and has always been alone, like with her mother dying so young and then her father passing away so young. And, but he's always seen who she is, but now this is like, she's understanding more. Like, so she's now opening herself up to understanding that she really isn't alone. And in so many different facets that you can imagine, I don't even, I don't need to list here. And it's just like, she's, she's also feeling like, she's going to be seen and heard 
but she's okay with whatever happens. Like something has changed. She's now looking at the world from a different perspective now. She's still herself, but she's understanding a lot more because of this experience, which there are. <laughs> there are other life forms out in the galaxy. So it's literally this whole metaphor for we're not alone in the galaxy, literally, and you are not alone in thinking what you are going through is like only happening to you. It's happening to so many people and we, we really aren't alone in anything in this world. This is like a theme I say in my show. So my show, the main show I do is called Damn It Jim. I'm a comedian, not a doctor. And it's about how Star Trek, yeah, it's about how Star Trek has helped me in my journey as a recovering alcoholic. And so at the end of the show, I basically say, like, I learned in AA that, you know, we are not alone. And Star Trek has taught me that we're really all one big federation and you see it in like basically this last season of star trek discovery kind of hammered this home as well it's just like no we're we all need to like look after one another and like especially what happened in 2020 and like we really need to work together to get through things and this is a theme that's been in my whole life that i've finally gotten since my sobriety and that i really see played out in contact through Jodie Foster's character. So it's literally, for me, it's seeing myself on screen represented in like so many different sections of my life. And at the end, she's like sitting and she's like not like hunched up. No. She's leaning back, she's open. And it's just, see, I'm it's just the most beautiful thing. And you don't, and it's like, everything isn't solved. It's just like, you're not afraid of what's going to come next. Like tomorrow, it's, it's the thing, like one day at a time. It's just like, she spent her whole life. It's just like, oh my God, like, okay, fine. Tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll do it alone again. I'll do whatever. Like she never knows what's coming up and it hasn't been okay with it. It's just, no, it's been a constant fight, but now it's just like, okay, what's the promise? of tomorrow now and you know what can happen that I can share with others so this it literally takes on it's literally like I'm looking at this from like the, yeah. the Palmer Joss side of things mm -hmm. which is also really interesting to understand in my whole journey so I literally am a very distinct case in my opinion for context but yeah but also as when I the first time I saw it I loved it as seeing the start of what it was going to mean to me yeah. but also i thought it was a really amazing film and then i worked for a cinema for a long time 2012 till 2018 and we had an event where it was lawrence krauss came to talk about different scientific aspects of contact so it was really cool yeah. and it was really i was like oh my god this is really neat and i i wasn't working that day but i went to to watch it because yeah. I thought it'll be really neat for the talk, but then it'll be so awesome to see contact again on the big screen. Yes. A huge, it was a 650 seat cinema. Oh, nice. I worked at. And I've seen the film, I it's somewhere between 100 and 200 times. Oh, like it's yeah. like Star Wars. It's a lot. So, but it was so interesting to watch it and like hear the surround sound. But then also, and I'm like, I didn't, was that like some kind of like a rattle or something? Like hearing all these different things and noticing something else because it's like on a big screen and it's like a sharper image. 
image. So it was really neat all these, you know, 20 years later to see it on the big screen again as a cinematic experience, you know, as opposed to so good. Yeah. Big screen. And I, I, I mean, I was really shocked. I think it only had one Oscar nomination. It was for sound. I, I'm not even sure it was up for visual effects or anything. I thought, well, maybe, maybe by the end of the nineties, they were kind of Jodie Foster had been recognized a lot. Robert mm -hmm. Zemeckis had been recognized a lot. They were kind of going through fatigue. That's how the awards world works, I guess, where they don't want to overpraise somebody. But when you're that good all the time as Jodie Foster is, I mean, she, she should have been recognized and I mean, I, I totally get everything that you're saying. And also, it's a good sample of, like, why people need to see your show. I mean, I, I, I saw it through, you were kind enough to give me a, a film version of it. But I think also being able to see your show in person would be just remarkable. I hope I can do that someday. But, like, the, the honesty and bravery behind your shows. I mean, the, the one show, I, I haven't watched all of them, but... I'm sure they're all that way. We got a bit of a sample of that as you're talking about contact. And I just, I just appreciate your perspective on that. So that's where I, I feel bad because I, I thought, you know, coming in, I was so excited to revisit contact and I thought, okay, contact, Wally, this is going to be really, really tough. And so I was surprised that I wasn't enjoying contact. And I just feel like maybe if you watch something and you're in a certain mood, maybe that affects things. And maybe the third oh, totally. time we're going to go back to, or it could be that I saw it on the big screen and I got, you know, the full immersive experience that you're, you just described seeing it in this, this screening 20 years after its release. Mm. It is a big screen film for sure. Mm. And I, I just thought Zemeckis, for all of the stuff he's done, and he, you know, maybe not recognized as much as as a James Cameron, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit and, mm -hmm. and Forrest Gump and Back to the Future 2 in many ways, Back to the Future in general, like that trilogy. And I thought he he went and he outdid himself with the effects with that that sequence in, uh, you know, towards the end of, of Contact. But I think this time there were just a couple notes that I, for whatever reason, were feeling like they were out of the, the Hollywood formula playbook. Mm -hmm. Why I kept going back to Clarice Starling, which in many ways Clarice Starling is, there is a similarity between those characters because you have a woman who is in a male-dominated profession mm -hmm. and is being talked down to and ridiculed by all of these men, and yet she's so much smarter than all of them, and she should be given credit for, for what she's doing. Yeah, they're but both incredibly strong female characters, yeah. like that that is you don't see enough still no. in cinema but the fact that Jodie Foster played both of these very pivotal roles is yeah. like and I, just, I think it was just the backstory for both of them with the traumatic childhoods I think that's where I was kind of thinking okay I, I just wasn't noting that I guess back in in 1997 how close those characters are because it was you know quite a, a different story there mm -hmm. and yeah, unfortunately like that big surprise in the second act there I I saw coming and this is a few moments where I, I'm really happy to hear your perspective on Tom Skerritt and I cheer for Tom Skerritt maybe it's because I don't like the character that I kind of he did such a good job of being such a, a horrible person. Oh yeah. I'm maybe underestimating that performance. I'm gonna rewatch this movie and watch what he does because 
it's it's exactly it's exactly what that it's exactly what David Drumlin would be like. It's totally what he would be like. And I but and Tom Skerritt is so good in the role that you don't realize that it's actually this character. That's how yeah. amazing an actor. But yeah, he's this character. But it's typical, and you you know that these these types of there are so many. Yes. Of Every organization has somebody like this, and several you know, people like that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's true. and that's why they they all rise to the top and then control everything. And then people who are really passionate about you know what they're doing and that topic. It's not a selfish thing. It's like she wants the earth to make contact yeah. with like another life form. It's not about her at all. Whereas with David Drumlin and other people like that, that's exactly what it is. It's how can they keep climbing the ladder? This is a smart movie about big ideas, like the best of the movies we've been talking about as we record this. And so I I, I hope more people check out Contact. I didn't mean to come out a, a little bit negative from the gate, but I was just going to say like some people might, if they might be kind of clocking some of the familiar beats from some other Hollywood films. But the ideas are big, and Jodie Foster is spectacular, and it almost goes without saying, but she really is good in contact, and I think it probably deserved more attention than it got in 1997. Uh, ironically, the year of Titanic. Uh, basically I know. Became the movie of, there, there were other really good movies that year. One other mention, just a shout out, uh, James Woods appears in there. Yes, and Angela Bassett. And Angela Bassett, she, oh, she's good. Oh, she's just always, even if she isn't given a ton to do, she has some wonderful scenes with Foster and James Woods is kind of a different level of villain from you know, Tom Skerritt and Jake. He's your, yeah, he's your typical politician though. So he's you you see him more as James Woods, because James Woods is kind of like that in real life. Yeah. But you also see, especially this past year, you know, with all the news, like politicians exactly like that. Yeah, he, he does it well. And I mean, I just recently reviewed Casino, and oh, that's a completely different performance from him. He's a very good actor, and sometimes his personality becomes kind of the story there. But I, I think you know he's he, he's terrific. He does well in this role, and it's nice to see him in there. And so he was probably of the three villains, actually my favorite in some ways. But he doesn't necessarily have the layers that the Tom Skerritt has, nor the scariness of the Busey character. So yeah. Oh, and I don't want this to end without mentioning William Fichter who's yeah. also an incredibly underrated actor who's basically any movie you see you'll probably see him in really great as another member of Ellie's team just it's, it's very impaired, I believe and yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a very it's a subtle role for him but yeah. it's a wonderful character and he's somebody who stays with Ellie throughout yes. the whole thing with an incredibly important an emotional moment later on yeah. in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great cast, visionary director. So very, very positive on, on, on contact. And I, I'm fortunate. I ended up liking all six of these movies. Uh, I think you like four of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, uh, but... There, there's kind of a, a dividing line here between the great and the okay to in some people's opinion bad. So <laughs> yeah. I want to uh, decide on the points here. <laughs> I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. 
But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I wish I could share that. I wish that everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and hope That continues to be my wish. I just have to say, like, this has been a pleasure, Polly, and just, I, I hope you are willing to come back and yes. do shows. Yeah. I think you mentioned about half a dozen movies, and I just want to see what shows I have to, so that we can talk about them, because I, I just really like where you're coming from and your perspective, and it, it's been nice spending uh, a few hours here talking about these six sci-fi movies here, and oh, yeah. Such an amazing time. This has been, it's been like, I, it's literally like, you know, we've been friends on Facebook for a little bit. Our friend Kurt Fitzpatrick, you know, yeah. like, hey, you should do a show. And it's like the two of us have just sit here like talking away like we're just like old friends catching up. Yeah. And I think our, our tastes on the whole are pretty similar. Our perspectives are, you know, so that's that's been kind of cool. So, so now, <laughs> but now, now here come the points. I don't think we're going to, we might be in different places with some of the movies, but I, I don't think anybody's going to walk away uh upset here. so so we're, we'll go in the order we reviewed them in how many points would you give back to the future to six and v for vendetta one and blade runner the u.s theatrical cut nine wally -E. 19 avatar <laughs> a great big donut zero All right. zero i don't I don't care about what it did for cinema and technology as great as it was. It deserves nothing. If I could give it negative points, I would. Well, I have one guest who gave zero to a movie and then sort of said that, well, I didn't give a negative at least. So, ah. <laughs> so I think that he was thinking in that direction there. This is the third time that we've had a movie receive zero points. Wow. The uh, the second time was Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. That was for my guest, not for me. Right. And the other time was an Alfred Hitchcock movie, Laura. Oh, I've never seen that one. Yeah. Wow. The 40s there, my guest really, really didn't like it. So I did. So hmm. remarkable moment here to get a zero from one of the movies here. And Contact. 25. Okay, so we are in different places here. I do, in general, like to spread the points out. I think, on the whole, I did that with this episode. I gave 11 points to Back to the Future 2. Very nostalgic piece for me. I, I I still am so entertained by it. And I just the balance, what Bob Gale did with the screenplay and what Robert Zemeckis took on for 1989, enormous challenge. I think this was the follow-up to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I just, I, I like it a lot. V for Vendetta, I perhaps generously gave it seven points. I enjoyed it. I don't love it. Definitely has its flaws, but I, I, I kind of came in thinking I was going to have a negative experience, and I, it's only my second time seeing it. I liked it more the second time. That's why I had to sort of go with my most recent experience 
variants for this. Big fan of Blade Runner, as I said, theatrical cut maybe isn't as good as director's cut or final cut, but I still give it 14 points. 12 points to Wally. Yeah, I, I, I love Wally, and I think, you know, if yeah, I probably could have given it a few more points, but I, uh, I again, I was trying to spread the love a little bit here, and it's it's a very worthy science fiction film. I yeah. think I'm glad that it was put in a show that wasn't just based on kids' movies or or animated movies. I think it's it's just a great film. I I was kind to Avatar. I gave it eight points. I <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like it more than you do. I I like the look of it. I like the music. I liked one of the performances, even though it was all basically a digital type of performance, but but on the whole, there there are enormous problems with it, and I don't think it has aged well, and I think it's going to age even worse if we go the future here. And I don't know what these sequels are going to be like and how yeah. that's going to work for him, especially been there's been all this time in between. You'll be mad at me. I only gave eight points to Contact. That's okay. Finished returns for me this time, but again, I, I plan to revisit it and keep a lot of your points in mind, and I'm hoping to sort of get back to where I was with the first time I saw it in theaters there. So It's also been... It's also with these films that are have been so long ago, like Contact was like 24 years ago, yeah. which is a long time. And then only having seen it the once, just as this film to see in the theater is one thing. Whereas Back to the Future meant a lot to you when you watched it back then. So that's a total, it's a total yeah. different emotional connection. So yeah, it totally makes sense. Contact is a better made movie and a more movie, but you know, and it's not meant to make me smile necessarily, but I, I feel like the personal connection I have to Back to the Future 2 is kind of not, not the same as your connection to, to Contact by any way, shape or form, but we both had very powerful experiences in some ways watching those. And you've just, you've revisited Contact several different points and keep going back to it and i you can't argue with that i mean it's such a such a great movie and i i'm i'm glad that you have championed it and i hope more people check it out so the overall points are, are kind of interesting a little bit spread out here. <laughs> i skewed it there <laughs> winner there is contact with 33 points followed by wally with 31 points then we have blade runner the theatrical cut has 23 points then we're looking at back to the future 2 with 7 and then this is uh, only the second time that this has happened in the history of the show. So we have a tie at the bottom. V for Vendetta and Avatar both are at the bottom with eight points. The rule when there's a tie is that both movies have to leave my movie collection. Oh, so wow. You get to decide what <laughs> I am going to do with it's a DVD of V for Vendetta and it's a Blu-ray, 2D Blu-ray copy of Avatar. Wow. Well, I mean, my... My automatic thinking is like coaster, like coasters. But I heard Kurt say that, and I was like, God yeah, yeah. damn it, taking my great minds, <laughs> bastard. I think you could stick um, like a pencil through the hole and use one as like a pizza cutter, or you can use it like a cheese knife. <laughs> I don't know. I would like, <laughs> I would like just throw Avatar out. But that's just me. I don't know. I I mean, these are funny ideas, but I I don't know if you should do a giveaway. I mean, there's people out there who like this, like, or if yeah. you should donate it. Like, I I seriously think somebody should be able to to receive these films as like a lovely gift or donation to either um, appreciate or have their own Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of because that could be <laughs> that's it's entertainment either way. Yeah. So all all of those are great. Which one? are you leaning to to the donation or to the uh, the pencil holder 
I think I'll be nice. The donation. Okay. Pass okay. pass this along to somebody who could appreciate it for whichever ever either reason that I gave. Okay. All right. Sounds <laughs> good. But I like the brainstorming of ideas in there too. That that's awesome. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to promote out there to the fine folks on the internet? I don't have any shows at all coming up. You can find me on I'm on Twitter at Polyester Gems. My yeah, the name is like it's like Polly. Esther. So it's like P-O-L-L-Y and then E-S-T-H-E-R. I can't find a, I can't ever find a joke about don't forget the H. Like there's nothing funny about that. But, <laughs> and then on Instagram at Hollywood Productions, because that's the, I created my own company because I thought, oh, I'm a one woman production machine. So I'm just going to create a company. And so it's Hollywood Productions. And I haven't done an official launch of it yet, but I've done a soft launch of a Patreon page. So hopefully I'll have some things up and ready to go for that that you can basically sponsor me monthly if you like and that's uh, patreon.com slash polyester perfect and you will you will definitely return here uh, I do a couple other shout outs again our our mutual friend Kurt Fitzpatrick and the podcast A Lifetime of Hallmark. Have you listened to that? Yeah, that's yeah. he does it with my buddy Les. I'm yeah, I, I apparently sometime in the future I'm gonna be on there, but when I listened to the one show, I was so intimidated because they go into such detail with these either lifetime or hallmark movies. And so I'm gonna have to bring my game that day. They when they when they started it, like Les would tag me like every time they did a post, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> like stop it i can't there's only so many i can actually find to watch here in canada and so yeah that was a problem for me i there was a, a christmas one with marie osmond or something that they were going to review but i couldn't i couldn't find it here i mean we get some of the hallmark movies on the w network i guess but in canada but it, it, it is kind of tough to find some of them but hopefully yeah. i'll be able to do that someday and i've mentioned it a couple times here rank and review uh, another saskatoon podcast Larry Parsons, typically genre-based, and it's I, I love being a guest on his show. And his it was kind of like the father podcast to this one. So just before I go, again, I, I just want to say please continue to support and share this podcast with the movie lovers in your life. And as we go through the pandemic, I really, really encourage you to please, you know, be kind to each other, be safe, and keep supporting local artists, film artists, theater artists, and keep watching the movies and whatever form you can get movies these days. Thank you so much.